Hello, Chomp Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Chomp Cast. We apologize for being gone the past few weeks. We have had a lot going on over here at Sword Chomp. So, before we get into any kind of introductions or topics of the show, we want to fill you in on what's happened over the past few weeks. Now, as you hear, it's not the usual person hosting the podcast this week. Um, we have some big news regarding that. Uh, Morgan, one of our co-hosts and fellow friends, has decided to part ways with Sword Chomp. And um, there, there's a lot that has kind of gone on into that. Um, at the end of the day, though, it, it really boils down to two things. Um, mental health for his sake, he needed to take a break. Um, and it ended up being a permanent break, unfortunately. As well as just um, kind of a difference uh, of opinions on the future of the show and the future of the business and whatnot. And he wanted to save our friendship uh, between the four of us by removing himself from the equation before it got any worse. Um, not that we were necessarily internally fighting a lot, more along the lines of just some of us had one idea, some of us had a different idea. And um, yeah, it just kind of, it, I think in some ways it kind of just stagnated everybody. Everybody has things that they want to do, and we were kind of at a standstill of how to proceed because we all had different ideas. So um, there's no bad blood there. Um, I want to make that clear right now. Nobody forced Morgan to leave. Morgan didn't give us an ultimatum, nothing like that. Um, we wish him the best, honestly. Um, we're all going to miss him here. Uh, he's been here since the foundation. He's put his... Um, so much of his time and energy and money into this business and into building what we built between the four of us. And that's irreplaceable, to be honest with you. But that being said, uh, again, we wish him the best going forward. Um, hopefully you'll see him from time to time again if he decides he wants to pop in. And uh, we just want to thank him for the past four and a half years. Uh, it's been an amazing journey. I've personally known Morgan since uh when we did our first podcast together and that one failed miserably but that was a hell of a good time uh Morgan and I have written music together we've made an EP together um with our band that's somehow still on Spotify I don't know how that works but it's still there um I've been creating with Morgan for many many years and um yeah I I imagine that this probably this isn't probably the end of him and I personally creating stuff or anything like that. Um, I'm going to miss my friend being here every week. Um, I'm definitely not going to miss having to hear about The Last of Us 2 every week. I'm going to be honest with you there. <laughs> so, Morgan, if you're listening, um, I love you, buddy. Please keep The Last of Us 2 as far away from me as you can right now because I don't want to hear about it in the next year. But no, we miss you, buddy. And uh, yeah, we're, we got to push forward. So. Um, to anybody out there who is uh, affected or bothered by this news, uh, if you want to talk about it with us, you can feel free to uh, DM us on Instagram or Twitter or send us an email at swordchomp at gmail.com. And yeah, we'll be more than happy to discuss that with you. Um, but otherwise, uh, it's the three of us chaps here holding the fort down and pressing forward. So. Um, 
A few other things that we wanted to mention is going forward, we're going to be temporarily halting any future episodes of Chomping After Dark, uh, probably for the next month or two as we try and get our feet under us. Uh, there are some things that Morgan did here, um, running social media and other various things that we are now undertaking. So we obviously have more, a little bit more responsibility here between the three of us. And that means that uh, some things we're going to have to put at the wayside for now, unfortunately, as we figure that out. So Chomping After Dark is one of those things that is going to be temporarily halted, but it will be coming back um, here in the near future. We are probably going to be bringing it back at a once a month capacity. Uh, the reason for that being is just that uh, we honestly, with everything that's happened over the past few weeks, uh, we've taken a big hit. Um, on our finances, the number of patrons that we have, the, pe the wonderful people who uh, support this podcast because we are completely listener-supported. Um, we, we, we lost a lot of support over everything that's happened over the past few weeks. Um, so in the future, if we're able to stabilize and get that number back up, the number of patrons who are supporting us, then yeah, we will start to make twice a month again on that Chomping After Dark, because that's something we all very, very much love. Uh, we very much love doing those, those episodes, so um, we want to continue to make content for you guys. So speaking of that, this is the one and only time I'm going to ever do this, because me personally, I hate when people um, do like pledge drives and things like that. I, I absolutely can't stand that. It drives me nuts. But at the same time, because us being listener supported, um, the only way we are able to create more content and we have a lot of content that we're really, really excited to bring out. We are looking at bringing out some new shows and some new other various things that are in the pipeline. We're working on a lot right now. The only way we can do that is, um, just listener support on the Patreon. And we want to first off thank each and every one of you who have stayed around um, to support us there. It's, it means the world to us, to be honest with you. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do otherwise. Um, if, yeah, if you're at all interested in, you know, helping us out, keeping the show afloat, keeping it moving, giving us the opportunity to make some new and exciting content for you guys, uh, please head over to the Patreon um, at patreon.com slash and just check it out. Check out the tiers um, and see if anything there piques your interest. Uh, it would mean the absolute world to us. Um, Rich has a show that he's wanting to make and he's got that lined up. I have um, an idea for the highly requested BioBreak return. Um, I have some stuff lined up for that. so. Yeah, please, if, if you uh, feel so inclined, please head over to the Patreon and check it out. All right, that's enough of all the stuff that we had announcement-wise for the show. So, let's actually get into the show now. Today, we are assembling to discuss the topic of the show. Are we seeing a resurgence of the JRPG in modern gaming? And how does it compare to the PS1 golden era of JRPGs? We're going to be asking that of ourselves this week as um you know this this topic was largely inspired by the saga frontier remastered drop uh i i uh 
I, w- I kind of wanted an excuse to talk more about JRPGs, and I know the guys here absolutely love JRPGs, so I figured it was an excuse for us to talk about something that we love. Um, I'm really excited for that. We also have a lot of games to catch up on. We've been absent for two weeks, so we're going to be discussing Returnal, New Pokemon Snap, Pac-Man 99, Near Replicant, Saga Frontier Remastered, Moondown, Half-Life Alex, and Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Hot damn what a list. God, that is a star lineup right there. So we're going to also reveal the results of the polls from a few weeks ago regarding JRPGs. So stay tuned for those. And lastly, uh, we missed it last month because of kind of taking like the, the, the break that we needed to take and whatnot. But we have some Patreon shout outs to get to from last month. Don't worry, we didn't forget about those. Um, we want to show love to the people who have supported us and continue to support us. So, without further ado, we have the man, the self-proclaimed JRPG expert on the podcast who still hasn't somehow played Saga Frontier Remastered. We have Rich Meister. Rich, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh i i'm doing pretty good honestly it's good to be back it's only been two weeks but like i just been itching to fucking like and the thing is it's insane to say that because like i could talk to you guys anytime i fucking want like we we have a group chat where i could have been talking about games but i like to save the the flavor of it for, for the podcast and i've been and weirdly enough this had to happen right when we're all playing so much shit like there's been like a drought and like three big games just dropped like uh, enough to the point like i've played some resident evil 8 but we're saving that for next week because there's just too much shit there's just too much stuff i know it, it's kind of crazy like how it, everything unfolded like everything un- unfolded over the past few few weeks and then it's like oh game oh game oh game and i'm i have had zero desire to play like, video games I'm, the past few weeks and Dude, so I'm dealing with like crippling it's, it's anxiety, but I'm like, I guess I gotta like, fucking oh, play Returnal. Getting... <laughs> yeah, it's like a host of games mm. coming out, and zero inclination to want to turn on the system or turn on the computer to play. There's there's nothing quite like waking up like slightly depressed, and like there's no reason like in your space why you should be like I'm sitting on my back porch with the sunlight fading in as i drink coffee and play pokemon snap and yet like i'm just racked with anxiety while all this is happening (laughs) (laughs) that's just because you're worried about just taking pictures of grookey and dicking down your mom again that it's it's professor mirror this time good sir oh he'll be dicking down my mom breaking in and dicking down your mom he's like you better take a good picture of grookey or i'm going to fuck your mom (laughs) professor mirror Oh Jesus Christ! Ah, oh, jeez. Um, well, Rich, thank you so much for being here. Um, hopefully, your mom in Pokemon Snap doesn't get dicked down, and you take all the pictures. Happy Mother's Day! <laughs> for real, I forgot. I forgot it was Mother's Day this weekend. Holy shit! Good point. Um, we are also joined by Mr. Joshua Fowler. Now, Josh is interesting. Um, he usually plays the indie games here on the show, but you know what? He has a lot of big name games to play this week. Josh, are you feeling okay? And he likes okay? all of them. It's weird, right? It's really it's weird. crazy. Uh, yeah, no, I've been uh, really digging into some Returnal and new, I, I, new Pokemon Snap. 
It's not Pokemon Snap. It's new Pokemon Snap, which, yeah, we're never going to call it that. It's just going to be Pokemon Snap, and good luck guessing which one we're talking about from now on at any point in the future. Um, Yeah, 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 it's been a a weird week for me, playing playing all the new new hotness. Um, Yeah. Just be careful with all that hotness that you don't get a fever. (laughs) <laughs> mm, oh, oh fuck man speaking of fevers <laughs> yeah, yeah I no know. i got my second dose and i was one of the few people who got well not few but yeah, smaller it's still smaller subsect of people getting that second shot who it hit hard um, yeah dude i and yeah i was kind of knocked on my ass so for a, like I, a couple days with with that second shot yeah, i've been talking I've been talking to some friends who've gotten the second shot and a lot of them are like, oh, my arm hurt for a few days or uh, I felt really tired for like 12 hours. I took a nap and then I got over it. But like, man, you got you got it pretty bad. I know if, I've known a few other people Do you who have, have uh, had it pretty bad, but like for the most part, people have been like varying degrees of OK. So, yeah, yeah. like hearing that you got it pretty bad is kind of a shame, like on top of everything else that we, I know that's been like, going on the past few weeks. Did did do you have like adverse reactions to flu shots normally, Josh? Normally not. I think what's going on is a a twofold. Um, if if it's a strain you're already immune to, I think that's kind of the issue because mm-hmm. your body's like, oh, I recognize this. Let's go fucking ape shit on this bad boy. Like we're we're not letting this do anything. So we're gonna we're gonna completely just destroy it. Um. Because I've I've had one flu shot that has basically done the same thing to me, but even that was only like twelve hours. It was absolutely terrible, but it was only twelve hours. Um, the reason the reason I ask is because like I've never had even what I would call a slightly bad reaction to a flu shot, like maybe a little yeah. redness at the injection site. Um, and I was mostly fine. Um, after the second shot, like l- slight fever, but like not even bedridden. And it's one of those things, and I'm sure you can attest to this, it's kind of crazy when it makes you feel like lethargic or shitty or anything, because it really is like flipping a switch. Like, you feel like shit until you just don't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, that's what happened with my last flu shot, where apparently I was already immune to one of the strains, so my body was like, okay, well, we we know how to deal with this, and so it just completely fucked me up for 12 hours, and then, like, oh, oh, no, it's all good now, all good, there's not, nothing, nothing else to react to. Um which I think is half of it. And the other half of it is I'm just, I'm getting older. And so my body's, you know, immune system is, it, it's, 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 it's a little too old for this shit. And so it, it, it sees somebody, you know, committing a minor traffic infraction and it's got to blow something up and wreck cars all over the damn place. Somebody's got to get shot. Yeah, exactly. You know and what? You know what's funny? I think that's the other you know half of what's funny about that, Josh. There. You know what's funny? Speaking of getting too old for this shit, um, by the way, I'm Shay here. Um, I watched Lethal Weapon for the first time this week, ever. I've oh man! Congrats! Seen that movie. You'd never known Riggs and Murtaugh and their congrats. Their well, I said, you know what's funny is like I'm a huge. But you mean it's the TV series, fan. right? I'm a huge It's Always Sunny fan, but I, of course, never seen <laughs> Lethal Weapon from beginning to end. The first one, like I've seen. So you have seen Lethal Weapon movies. five, <laughs> five and six. But yeah. um, you know, watching like 
having seen those parody episodes so many times and then actually watching the first movie made they kind of nailed it didn't they so much better they, they yeah they kind of did right um <laughs> i absolutely was confused and loved the the fight sequence at the end between mel gibson and gary Busey. i was like how the fuck in a world does this happen where they're like hey give him give him some space and he takes off his shirt and he's in jeans just fighting in the rain and all the cops are yeah, watching it's amazing the neighborhood's watching oh i was God, like yeah yeah okay let me let me ask you a question, Shay. As somebody who's just seen *Lethal Weapon* and now understands that that movie was meant to be taken a hundred percent seriously, <laughs> have you ever have you ever seen *MacGruber*? No, I haven't. You need haven't. to watch *MacGruber*, like to the point of I will find a way for us to stream it together. I would love to sit in a Skype call with you and watch *MacGruber*. Well, you know what's funny about that, Rich, and this kind of goes out there for everybody. I'm gonna um, I've I've contacted some people this morning about it here in our. Uh, Swordchomp Discord, um, slight plug there, if you're interested in joining. Um, just DS, DM us. But anyways, uh, next weekend, I'm going to be hosting a community movie night. And uh, MacGruber could be one of those movies that I can throw to the fans to see if we watch it. Because, yeah, I've been trying to think of some movies. Like, I had the new Mortal Kombat slated as something we could all watch. Um, Josh I and I watched that last Serbian weekend, film. but I don't remember no, a lot of it. that one down. <laughs> <laughs> but no well you just uh, you'd Kombat, love its undertones uh, train to busan because i or busan 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 um i put that down because i've yet to see it and one of our good buddies has been asking and asking oh and asking God. me to watch that yeah be i've been to watch. meaning to watch and that the forever because i've one. i've watched his other stuff and it's amazing but somehow i've yet to see train to busan and that's the one everyone talks about being just such an amazing film and I, be good. I haven't seen it yet yeah so yeah, well, that, that's one vote so for we're gonna be doing that. <laughs> and one vote be doing for that next weekend. So um, if you're interested in joining, because there will be uh, people from Chomp Nation there, just uh, head into our Discord, and uh, we'll get you all the finer details on that. So, and yeah. assuming assuming the timing lines up for me, I will gladly be there. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be cool. It'll be a cool event. Uh, I, we've never done something like that, and I I figured that uh, we need to start doing things like that, but um. Yeah, it it was it was fun to watch that movie. Uh, I I actually kind of want to watch the other ones to see the ridiculousness. I I know Joe Pesci shows up in one of them, and I want to see that. So miss old Joe Pesci, seeing him on the screen. Little Joe sings the hit. That's right. All right. Well, yeah. Let's get into the topic, guys. I'm really excited about this topic that we're going to be discussing today because obviously, uh, it's something that's kind of near and dear to our hearts. It's something we kind of all grew up with, but. Um, we've been seeing a lot of remasters lately, and we've been seeing extended releases. Persona 5 got its Royal Edition that saw a bunch of additional content coming in. We saw the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, we've gotten some remasters of various RPGs, or JRPGs, namely the one that's on the top of my mind, obviously, Saga Frontier Remastered, uh, which I played the ever-loving shit out of that. Um, absolutely love that game. but. It had me thinking, um, and it's not just those three. Obviously, there have been others recently. Uh, we've seen a, a big surge of Monster Hunter becoming popular in America, which it's finally starting to break through. So I it, it prompted this question in me of, are we actually seeing a resurgence of the JRPG in modern gaming? Like, is, is are we seeing a resurgence? Has it always been there? It's just not as popular? Like, what are we seeing there? 
And I wanted to kind of give us a frame of reference to have this discussion. And obviously, there's no better example than the golden age of JRPGs, which was the PS1 era. And um, I got some really interesting comments on social media that I can't wait to share with you guys later. But first, I want to get your your guys' initial impressions of it. Um, I'm going to kind of go first, and then this will kind of give you guys a... Uh, a jumping off point where where you guys can agree or disagree with me. Um, I honestly, to me, I feel like it is a resurgence in some ways uh, because I feel like during the 360 PS3 era, it was all about the shooters. And even the first mm-hmm. part of uh, the previous gen, it was largely about the shooters and action games. Um, Uncharted was huge. Tomb Raider was just coming back. Uh, during the PS4, Xbox One era, it was just starting to come back and being revitalized. Obviously, the Call of Duty Battlefield era, we, we've been seeing a lot. <laughs> we've been, yeah, we've been seeing Battle Royales become such a huge thing that um, it's felt like I know there were some articles run a few years ago about how first person, or uh, not first person, uh, single-player experiences in gaming were kind of dying. I remember their articles running over the past few years on various publications trying to claim that uh, single-player experiences were dying. And that blew my mind because it was like, no, there's no way that this is happening. It's not dying. It's just that this is what's popular. And now that we're starting to see a big resurgence. I know Persona 5 has been such a huge uh, advent for that. I know that Monster Hunter Worlds becoming popular has been a huge advent for that and probably speaks to the success of Rise. Um, Obviously, Final Fantasy VII Remake and the Final Fantasy VIII kind of remaster have been awesome for that as well. We've just seen a lot of that in the past few years. I mean, I think that it's always been there, but it's becoming really popular again to the point that we are starting to see lesser JRPGs being remastered like saga frontier guys i i when that was announced last year nobody including myself a huge lover of the game had that penciled in for 2020 as being one of the things to happen and now it's rumored that entire series is gonna be brought back by uh square enix that's fucking huge so it has been getting attention it's been getting a lot of attention and it's really surprising so to me i feel like we are in a resurgence um how do you guys feel about that go play romancing saga 3 right now i need to i need to yeah i need to but yeah how do you guys feel about that you guys feel like we're in a resurgence Um, right now i i think that's probably a fair word to use to sort of like reiterate what you were saying there and as somebody who knows and maybe this can give you an inkling of where i'm going with the the potential series shay talked about earlier I fucking am fascinated by the histories of development cycles and, like, what brought games on. Like, the early aughts into, like, the 360 PS3 era was full of uh, Japanese developers trying to jump on the shooter bandwagon. Yeah. What I mean by that is, like, the success of things like Call of Duty in the West made Japanese developers really think... um shooters is where the money is and that's where development started to go for a while mm-hmm. with the exception of you know things like lost odyssey and stuff that kind of bled through the cracks of no these types of games are still relevant and they still matter um and i don't think until the indie scene really emerged did people even in the triple a space go like no there's really a place for everything 
and this goes through from Japanese developers that want to make shooters and Western developers that want to make traditional RPGs, like even like more of what you would call a JRPG coming from Western developers now. Like that bridge has been crossed both ways and people indie and AAA alike are just making the things they want to make now. And there's so many types of games that it's hard, it's hard to pin it as a JRPG resurgence because I think it's just the industry as a whole saying, no, I'm just going to make the thing I want to make. Like, I don't need to make the thing that everyone's making. Yeah. Yeah, Like granted that still happens with things like battle Royale and all that, but in a bigger way, I think it's a lot of going just, you know, you have a vision for a thing you want to make and there is an audience for it. And if you put your heart into it, hopefully they will find it. I won't say they definitely will because there's too many fucking games, but hopefully they will find it. Yeah, it's it's kind mm-hmm. of like it reminds me your point of it being akin to the music industry as a whole right now, whereas obviously you still have those mega popular artists who sell out arenas and stadiums. And they're not necessarily generic or bad by any stretch of the imagination. Some of them are actually really good. I enjoy some of the mega popular artists that are out there and what they do and what they bring to the table. But also, you, you're well aware of that. That's, that's a huge collaborative effort. If you're to look at a lot of those megastars, they don't even write their own lyrics by themselves, you know? It's, yeah. highly, it's highly controlled. It's a controlled environment when you are with a, a uh, label. But then you obviously have a lot of these smaller labels or you have these independent artists and there's so much music out there. It feels like you really could spend from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed listening to new music and you would barely scratch the surface. And it kind of feels that way with games right now, too, because with how games have becoming so popular that it feels very similarly. You have the AAA studios, um, which obviously, yeah, you're right. Rich shooters are kind of where the money's at right now, but you also have these not quite AAA developers necessarily, but bigger studios and then smaller studios and even independent um, developers making what they want to make. And a lot, I think it's showing that, yeah, there's definitely a market for the JRPG. Um, Josh, I'm going to throw it to you, buddy, because I, I, I've already talked a lot. How do you feel about this? Yeah, no, like I, I've mentioned this in the past um i don't know actually i think a couple weeks ago it somehow came up but but yeah around the ps3 era shooters were just safe like everyone everyone's making a third person shooter i mean look at all the look at all the stuff that came out of japan at the time like all of a sudden the jrpgs binary domain died and everyone was making third person shooters and they were mostly atrocious is kind of the 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 rule there. There were a few of them that ended up just being weird enough and being completely unique takes on it that you got interesting things out of it, but most of them were just terrible. Say, don't talk shit about binary domain. Um, and it's been neat seeing kind of them go back to making JRPGs, but also other things like, um, in the triple a space something that i've really appreciated for the last last generation kind of the the tail end of the ps4 um xbox whatever the fuck it was called goddamn xbox and their fucking names x no one knows what the last gen was called x xbox five uh xbox one yeah no one knows what they're called at this point no i know what the last gen was i don't know what this one's called right um but 
Anyway, the tail end of that generation had a lot of really cool things with some of the AAA publishers throwing their money behind independent studios. Like, okay, we, we want to see what you'll make with, with this sort of thing. And Ubisoft did that with a lot of weird little games like um, Child of Light and, uh, what was it, Vagrant Hearts? Yes, Vagrant uh, Hearts is great. Um, and then Square Enix did the same sort of thing shortly afterwards with a lot of weird games, a lot of weird independent games like Forgotten Didn't Man always work out, but yeah. And uh, and Tokyo Dark. Um, with the similar sort of thing. Like, like, okay, let's just throw our money behind these independent studios. Um, and you got some really interesting stuff out of that, um, which was just fun to see. Um, Yeah, like honestly, I feel like some of the JRPG resurgence kind of came from the mobile space. Not 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 mobile as in phone games, but like 3DS and lower budget handheld type games. It's where those things are probably most at home because it, it's the same reason I'll play any RPG on Switch if there's the option. Yeah. Like, even if I'm not, like, playing games on the go that much, the idea of, like, taking this r- game that's kind of grindy to the room with me and, like, watching TV or watching a movie while I, like, grind out on a, a longer-form game, there's there's an appeal there. 3DS specifically had, like, the Etrian Odyssey series that kind of only worked on yeah. that console. Yeah, like, and I kind of feel that's, that's where it stayed alive, and it's kind of, it's been the kind of, the sprout that it's kind of come up, like, the, the, um... Ah uh, fuck! What did they even become? But the the Mario RPG series, the oh yeah, Mario the, and Luigi. I can't. Unfortunately, remember the... Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga and all the yeah. Unfortunately, that studio went under. Yeah, but like that kind of kept it alive in in a yeah, big yeah. way. That kind of like okay, like there's there's still there's still a market for this. Um, and kind of showed people that it, it's still viable, even though like nobody wanted to put their money behind it in a big sense. But kind of showed that there was still a, still an audience. Um, you got interesting stuff like that. You got stuff like Bravely Default that were taking a lot of the conventions and doing new things with them. Um, and I, and yeah, I kind of feel like the, the market has grown back up out of that more mm-hmm. than kind of starting over from scratch after everyone got over their we-have-to-make-shooters phase. And I, I think, like, also forms like Kickstarter and things like that paved the way for making even, like, more niche experiences. Like, I think about, like, me backing, like, Ayudin Chronicles because, like, you have the right people with the right backing going, remember Sakodin? We're doing a Sakodin. And I'm like, here's my money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, Kickstarter's cool. been a weird sort oh, of a thing with, with that because, yeah, people just, if there's an audience, the audience just kind of funds it themselves, which is a really interesting way to do that. Um, yeah, that's kind of fortunately it didn't brought work out a lot of weird time. things back in interesting ways. Didn't so. work out for Rap of the Rapper, but yeah, I like I'm still I like disappointed that, though, that by that. Basically, people can feel like we're in an era now where they feel not only empowered, but the technology is there for the average person to be able to kind of quote-unquote have this resurgence if that's what you want to call it um things like like you're saying kickstarter have paved the way for so many of these things to exist now and it's showing that there are these people that exist uh you know that 
There are things like social media. For as much shit as we give social media, and as much as I personally am not the biggest fan of social media, it's allowed for things like this. You know, if I want to, I go on Twitter, and I find a pocket of people who talk about Shining Force every day. And let me tell you, I've done the research, and there are groups (laughs) that do that. And um, And they are not there. (laughs) For example, they're there. And like that's that's the beautiful thing about social media we 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 talk so much about how and this is tangential obviously how shitty social media can be and for good reason i mean it's predicated on being addictive keeping people locked into their screens and it's bad for our physical and mental and emotional health and even i would say spiritual health in some regards but the beautiful thing about it is that we're able to find these people these like-minded people and that's good for Things like JRPGs having a quote-unquote resurgence. Uh, it shows that there is there are enough people there that are willing to support something like that. Um, being remade or being g- given a sequel, whether or not it delivers is relevant. Just the fact that there are people out there that are interested. Um, Kickstarter's yeah. been really great for that as well. And I, I love I love Kickstarter. Um when I spend time on it, because there are games that I can find that I didn't even know about that I was interested in. I, um, I'm still, I'm really excited. It's going to be coming out later this year, a game called Small Saga. It's a game I told you guys about that I, it's the only thing I've ever backed oh, yeah, on yeah, yeah. Kickstarter in my life. That's going to be dropping soon. And the guy has been, um, his name is Jeremy. He's been dropping updates and it looks so cool. It looks like very unique artistic style with JRPG elements. And had Kickstarter not existed, maybe that game would have never been made, and um, this guy would have yeah. never made a game. And it, that's what's really cool about things like that. Um, on the flip side of that, though, on this whole discussion, I could see where people would be like, "Well, no, it's not a resurgence. It's been, it's always been there. We're just seeing a little bit more popularity now because some of the things have um, struck a chord with more Western audiences again, like this generation, uh, the generation underneath us." Which I, I could see the case being made there. Um, the thing is, and this is kind of where I wanted to compare to the PS1 era of gaming, is that it felt like during the PS1 era that I could just go to my local store. For me, it was Hastings or, um, or uh, GameStop, like mainly Hastings during that time. Mm-hmm. I could go to Hastings and just look at a wall and be like jrpg 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 which one do i want to check out um there are some really bad ones there's yeah. a game called grand stream saga which i guarantee almost nobody's ever heard of for the ps1 it was bad and it took it actually i remember this to this day it took either four or six slots on your memory card to save one file on yep. your ps1 memory cards it was oh, that God. And it was not a great game. It was pretty rough, to be honest with you. But like, you could go go to a store, and you could see all these games on the wall, and you could be like, "Whoa, which one do I want to get lost in this month?" Kind of thing, or this weekend. And I feel like over the past X amount of years, like PS2 was good, PS3, PS4, I, until the very end of the PS4 life cycle, which we're kind of in right now. I never really felt like that. I felt like if I would log on to the digital store, if I would go in person, it was shooters and sports games and doubt and adventure action adventure games, which isn't bad. I just felt like it was much more difficult to find those JRPGs hanging out on the wall. 
And even now, I still think it's, it's not yeah. what it once was, which is, uh, again, I guess could be a criticism. Like, being here in Japan, when I go to, like, there's a store here called Bic Camera, and they, they're kind of like Target here in Japan. And I, they have a huge video game section, always packed with people. I go there, it sh- and as it should be, because I'm in Japan, it's fucking littered with JRPGs. It's insane, like shit I've never heard of, and shit I would ever, like, I'm getting better at studying Japanese, but shit I still wouldn't be able to fully comprehend or understand. And well, it's I mean, like, it doesn't help that most of the titles for young adult fiction and JRPGs are about 18 paragraphs long. Well, how yeah. is he going to get the point across? That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, <laughs> it's it's kind of a shame that like it fell off. But at the same time, I'm kind of happy that it's it's seeing more popularity now because it's bringing attention back. And I think hopefully here in the next coming few years, we're going to start seeing that kind of rise in popularity like we did during the PS1 era. But, like, there was nothing like that PS1 era, guys. Like, just going to your local store. Well, here's, here's the thing, Shay, and what I'll say is, it, you're right. Um, I, I don't think we'll ever see it like that again, and the reason I say that is just because there's so much more in general. Like, a, a big part of what you're talking about is just who was on top at the time. Like, the... Mm top of the world consoles in that era were you know the the place playstation and nintendo were on top of the world um in terms of what they were putting out two japanese companies that hadn't really forged the same livelihood in the u.s market they had like nintendo of america sony of america existed but they weren't as big in terms of development at the time like all the major studios turning stuff out were the square enixes of the world and these internal like sony japan studios making these yeah. super Japanese games. And those those things are still happening. Very regionalized. And those are, yeah. Those are some of my favorite games. They're probably what shaped a lot of my taste in games um, into adulthood is that, you know, I grew up, you know, plugging hours into Final Fantasy Tactics and Ape Escape, not um, Call of Duty. Like, I wasn't playing Call of Duty until I was, you know, older. I was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of that, I think, I mean, Call of Duty existed back then. It's just no one cared because it's just a military shooter. And there were more interesting PC shooters. Like, I wasn't playing Call of Duty. I was playing Quake. Yeah, I think that... Medal of Honor. Well, not just just that, but I, I feel like it was the internet. It was the online architecture that was really needed to make those games come into their own. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could land party thing. it. Yeah. But listen, I would lug my PC to anywhere to play Quake with you. I wasn't doing that for Call of Duty 2. Exactly. Exactly. Like, being able to spawn, like, that was the coolest thing back in the day. Uh, this is kids. Kids talk to your parents, but spawning was an interesting thing where you could download a game from a CD on someone else's computer. And as long as you were connected by a LAN um, to someone else, you could play it. Yeah. Everyone could play off the one disc. Kids, look up that picture of um, the land party with the guy duct taped to the ceiling. That <laughs> is the the picture that just sells that beautiful, beautiful world that existed. Exactly. It was. It was. It was. 
just wild and heady times. I, I was talking to some friends recently, and I'm like, once we're all vaccinated and we're all feeling good, let's have a fucking land party. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be dope. Like, I think, I think though, that both of you guys bring up a really good point as well, though. Um, and we can kind of close our thoughts and, oh, actually, we'll um, read some of the listener comments on that. But I think that there are two things that have contributed to the rising popularity over the past year plus that um, are kind of obvious. One of them being the coronavirus situation, the COVID situation has What's kept that? people indoors for a lot longer. Mm. <laughs> has kept people indoors for a lot longer <laughs> and has ultimately led to people like being, I don't really have much to do. Let's get lost in a game. And those single Let's player games too have been available now um, yeah. in, in terms of time management, like people can fit them in their schedules. I think the other thing, and I'm so thankful that I eventually ended up picking one up, is the advent of um, like the Switch or mobile gaming becoming more viable. Uh, there's a game that Josh is probably going to be talking about next week. Uh, what's the game called again? I, I'm spacing the new Square, Square Enix game, I believe it is. Oh, uh, you're talking about Fantasian? Fantasian? What are we... It's not Square Fantasian. Enix. That's not a Square Enix. It is the original, uh, it's a... you know... <sighs> Fuck, what's the name of the company? It's the one who did... Uh, it's the... It's the. I, 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 it all, I it's remember. all Square Enix folks, but who have left it, the company. It is the original Final Fantasy folks. Yeah. Um, who made... It... Um... I, I, I'll look it up. You can keep going, Josh. Fucking Christ, man. Okay, yeah. My brain is, but, my brain like, is failing me. But we both know exactly what we mean, but have no idea what it's called. It's all good. I kind of... Surprised you guys with that one. Mist Walker. Um, Mist Walker. Mist Walker. Yeah, the guys it. who made. That's it. That's right. What I was confusing it? them Blue with Dragon Iron Galaxy and, in my uh, head somehow. Yeah. Um, it's all good. But, anyways, uh, like them or the uh, Saga Frontier Remastered being put on not only Switch, mm -hmm. but it's actually available on mobile as well. And that's so cool that technology is yeah. at the it's point now. not how I'd play it. That sounds terrible. To but where. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, agreed, but still, well, technology. I'm the glad the options there. I mentioned this a couple weeks back but, on the uh, train, and it's really cool that yeah. we're able to do that. Like, could you guys imagine 20 years ago playing Final Fantasy VII on the train? Like, no, there's no fucking yeah. way. Yeah, and it's a lot it, like, of those. That's amazing on the phone game really things cool that, that sound like a horrible, horrible idea. I've I've kind of grown to appreciate just with a oh the backbone is great the, the backbone that we, it, it's 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 literally given the size of the screen and everything it's literally just like a ten percent smaller switch it's just here's a switch the, so here, playing no, the mobile the versions is fine for some of those here's the thing you gotta understand Josh my phone is broken at all the time always mm. can't be playing games on this thing I get drunk and drop everywhere that is a <laughs> that is a consideration but. But imagine this situation, Rich. It's twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty two. You're in a bar. Everybody's been vaccinated. The robots have taken over. The world has finally wised up, and everybody decided, yeah, it'd be in our best interest to get the vaccination. The world is not completely rid of COVID. There are pockets of it still. So it's here a fantasy there. world. But for the Florida most part, Florida is walled off from the rest well, of the world. Well, we are talking about video games. Um, yeah. The the world is largely <laughs> safe from COVID. You're. And this is like the, the, the setting. You're in some nice or decently nice dive bar in New York City with some of your friends. And you're sitting there on the toilet kind of 
in and out of consciousness drunk and then you We're at accidentally the alligator hit, lounge. I love you it there. accidentally hit a button on your phone on like an app and suddenly Final Fantasy pops up. And before you know it, an hour and a half goes by, your legs are numb as fuck and you're sitting there playing without a mask. You're playing Final Fantasy on your phone and you're like, "Man, life is good." Can you imagine that future? No, cause, not because of the thing with the phone, because of all the other stuff. Well, I'm, no, I'm not saying, I'm not <laughs> saying like, is it going to be realistic? I'm just saying, wouldn't it be nice? That's all I'm saying. Sure. I don't want the, yeah. sin, I, I don't want the cynicism. I want the optimism. The, mm. the optimism is I don't like playing games on my phone, and I don't think I ever will, but I get the appeal. Okay, well, that's good. Well, let's push forward. Let's get to some listener comments really quickly. Um, if you're ever interested in being a part of the show, uh, we usually post the topic towards the end of the week on Instagram. I'm going to kind of get a feel for that as I've taken over that now. Um, it's kind of a new thing for me. So just be patient with me as I start working out the polls and um, start working out the topics of the show. But if you're ever interested, um, head over to the Instagram, uh, the Swordchomp Instagram. And, uh, yeah, when you see the post, just drop a comment on how you feel. But this one is largely made up of the VIPs. Uh, they're the ones who pretty much commented on the topic of the show. But we had our good buddy Bebop say, Lunar, bring that shit back, please. Doesn't really speak to the topic, but, you know, I, I, I can agree with the sentiment. Uh, our buddy Curse of Lies said, oh, man, I totally forgot about Grandia. I want a remaster of that. And that just, to me, kind of speaks to, like, um hey, th these games have a market, you know? Uh, our buddy Tawny said, I don't think there is a revival going on, per se. Just that Japan studios figured out that Europe and the U.S. also like JRPGs. I mean, look at the series like Disgaea, Dragon Quest, Tales, Final Fantasy, Shin, Shin Megami, and spinoffs. That being said, bring back Lunar, another one, and make Legend of Dragoon and Vagrant Story playable on modern consoles and PC. Mm -hmm. He said you know, wrong. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. What'd I say? Oh, no, I didn't say Sakodin. Okay. Yeah, I was like, that, that was he had me confused. There. I was, I was, was thinking the, about was how I wanted to respond to his <laughs> comment. And I was like, I didn't fucking say Sakodin. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I, I feel like he has a point here. Like, these games have kind of always been there. They've just been not at yeah. the forefront of the average person's um. Um, eyes, so to speak. Sort of. Like, I still think they went away some during the PS3 era because a lot of the big JRPG studios kind of switched their focus for a little while there. Like, and a part of that is that, like, what, what people don't think about is, like, turn-based combat and stuff like that became stylized, but a lot of it was a, a product of technical constraints. Hmm. Like, and it, it, it became a stylized thing that people like, which is why it came back. But a lot of games settled on turn-based combat systems because it was too tedious it was to action-based combat systems. Yeah, it was, it was easier to program on yeah. low Yeah, and that makes sense. Systems. I kind of like that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. No, no, no. Sorry. Um, so, like, I, I slight... Anyway, I, I slightly disagree just because I do think there was a little switch in focus just from the money aspect. Like, oh, we, we need to make some shooters. But yeah, yeah, there. I think there were still a lot of JRPGs that just kind of. If you need a bigger example, weren't... they turned Final Fantasy VII into a shooter. Yeah, 
I they mean, made I a guess, new one yeah. and made it a shooter. I, I guess that kind of that that's kind of the example that proves the rule. But yeah, but that's the exception to the rule. It is, but I, I, again, I think they were there. It's just they they're for a while there was not a big focus on localizing a lot of those JRPGs. They're just like, oh, why are, why are we going to put our money into this? And there were a lot of JRPGs that we just didn't get for a while. And we've slowly been getting a lot of that generation of like stuff that just never made it here. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's all that dude. I can so, yeah, tell like you. They were like, still making them. It's just, we kind of sadly didn't see a lot of it. I, I I'm sure you can imagine. I'm sure you actually know a little bit more than me even, but the, like whenever I go to the retro store that they have here, there's so many games that I've never heard of. And I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not really into game collecting anymore, but I sure as hell think about it every time I walk into that store. Cause there are all these JRPGs that I've never heard of. And I, nobody yeah. will in the U S will ever see unless they know about them. They've done a lot of research or they just happen to find articles on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I, if like, if I did this full time, I would definitely go down and like I'd buy one of those games, have no clue, no context, and would just play it and stream it. And that's what I would do because like I think that would be super fascinating because that would add to mm-hmm. kind of like the mystique and the allure of like what is this thing that I know nothing about? Let's explore it together. Um, if I were to do it full time, because yeah, there are so many games here that like I've never heard of, and it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. It's kind of a shame, but I, I also, you know, like getting back to, to Tawny's point. Yeah. Like I could see where you're saying that there's not necessarily a revival, um, and that it's just becoming quote unquote more, um, that Japanese companies are figuring out that though that they can make money, but I don't even think it's necessarily that, um, because they had a pulse on that during the PS1 and PS2 era. They knew that it was popular then. I think it's just that obviously the fluctuation of the market happened and now it's kind of fluctuating back. And that's just how I view it. I'm not necessarily saying hmm. that anybody's wrong. That's just how I view it. Um, Kilted Gamer, a good buddy of ours, uh, Josh, actually that's his name as well, said, I don't think it's a resurgence as much as they are more mainstream now. I would also say that since there are so many more games made today, it affects the percentages. They have always had a core fan base, but Mm -hmm. now they are reaching a broader audience and in the media limelight more. And I think that's probably probably as close to where as I'm at with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's something I've noticed a lot, oddly enough, in in the last year. I mean, like... I. I've paid attention to it since I've just been an indie fan for a long time, but especially I've noticed that like on, on, on all scales, I've noticed this where there's a market for everything. Um, and I've like, I mentioned this a while back, but like I've really gotten into like the hidden item games and stuff, just really chill, relaxed sort of games. And those things sold like gangbusters. Like you guys want to get out of here, go play prop hunt. That like that's exactly like that's been a big thing for a long time, but nobody talks about it in, you know, gaming TM, and like it's it's just it's just it, it's, it's, it feels a, like it, a different like adjacent thing. Yeah, it's point. like a completely different audience than the main, you know, capital G gamers 
gamers. So, yeah, and I think that's kind of a shame in a lot of ways because I've really enjoyed my time getting to know this part of, you know, the medium that's not talked about as much here in the last year because I've frankly needed something to relax to. I need something that's not going like like there's 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 reasons to do every sort of experience you can have in gaming. Like gaming is such a wide space and we like to it's, box it's like it in. Film, yeah. Like we there's, like there's to no, box it, it in 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 the mainstream concept of what gaming is. Um and I, I feel like that's kind of a shame. Like and I especially in the PS1 and PS2 era, we got some weird shit and everyone's like, "Oh wow, this is neat." Like it like everyone was kind of like curious to see what all we could do with it. And I feel like the Shout PS3 era was kind of the era when we're like, oh, no, this is what gaming is. And we codified it. We built walls around it. And it was really for the the worst for gaming as a Everybody was community, doing safe. As, as a community in, in, in space. And a lot of the games that we just said weren't a part of gaming didn't go anywhere. We just pretended yep. like they were gone. And I, that, that's a shame. It's a, think, it's a real shame. I think that speaks to like a general statement, Josh, and I completely agree with it in this context. If you try to codify or limit what art can do, it ruins the whole essence of what it is and the whole purpose of it. And I think that can very much be applied to video games. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wasn't commenting much while you were talking because I felt bad. But as an aside, you said it sold like gangbusters. And I was like, I've always wanted to know the origin of that phrase. And I've never known what the origin is. So, um, quick tangent. I'm going to give <laughs> you guys the information. Maybe you guys already know. Maybe you don't. But just so you guys know, um, gangbusters was the name of an FBI group in the 1930s that was. Uh, the whole purpose was obviously to break up the gangs that were popular during the 20s and 30s. And um, they were so successful at it. They were very successful as um, obviously the mafia didn't, <laughs> never achieved its former glory status. And so that's why when we say something like gangbusters, like sold like gangbusters, that means like it has sold very well because it's being compared to the that um, sect of uh, the FBI uh, group during the 1920s and 30s. So there you go. Fucking There's your narcs. random uh, <laughs> idiom origin information of the day. There and you, you go. Can proceed. And you can never say that this you didn't learn anything. This is your etymology minute. That's I right. I love etymology. <laughs> we, need, we need that as like a theme or something. That'd be amazing. <laughs> but yeah, just now if you go about your day and you're like, you know, I just wasted some hours listening to the sword chomp podcast the Chompcast? no you didn't what did you just learn today you learned something that you can take with you for the rest of your life Speaking um there's of one more comment that i wanted to complete read from tangent the here but oh, every okay, now and then i'll just be having a phone like we'll just be on the phone with my dad and my dad mm -hmm. and i are both just major linguist nerds and uh someone will say something that one of us researched in the last week or so like oh oh i you know where that phrase comes from and we'll just, we'll just go on a complete tangent it's just 
that happens almost every week whenever we're it's on the really phone. It's really cool, so. man. Like, it's it's something you don't really think about um, in the English language, but we talk so much with idioms. And mm-hmm. um, I can't remember some of the other terms. But yeah, like, we talk so much like that. And as compared to, like, obviously having been learning Japanese uh, slowly over the past four years, th- they use idioms, but it's not near as pervasive uh, in this culture. Yeah. And so when English learners, like especially adult English learners, are trying to get a grasp of conversational English and becoming actually fluent, that's one of the things they struggle with the most. And when I was teaching adults, that was one of the things I taught the most mm. were idioms. But I actually delved into the origins because a lot of the origins are super fascinating. And that's that helps them understand, too. A lot of the students were like, why do we say um best thing since sliced bread where does that come from and you go and look at the the history and the origins of that and it's way 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 fascinating obviously it's kind of useless trivia but a lot of the but origin it's, it's stories so are interesting st- it really right? is and i don't it, know why like as a as a child i couldn't have given a fuck less but as an adult I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is i got one of the coolest so things into ever. that in college i i love a good malifor um a malifor when you combine uh two idioms like it doesn't have to make sense it's one of my favorite like weird things in the english oh, language yeah, that's right so like an, a, one of the go-to examples is always like you hit the nose right on the head or like mm. it, you hit the nail right on the nose or something like that it would be like a good example of a malifor just taking the beginning of one idiom and combining it with the end of another and again yeah. it doesn't need to make sense it's just it's so delightful yeah yeah it's Super fat, like that stuff to me is super <laughs> fascinating, and I'm sure that stays between the three of us because everyone else, like, um, gaming podcast, let's go. Um, so back to the back to the topic. Uh, we had one more comment from our VIPs. Uh, this was from someone. Oh, let me read the name, Professor Late Layton, that wrote. Poster All I know X. is the Saga Frontier remaster is amazing, and uh, mm. the Swordchomp VIP page run by me said, "Thanks for your expert opinion." Shay. Oh, we have the same name. Weird. We'll be sure to read it on the show. That's it's so weird how like person has the same name as me and everything. Mm. How did that happen? I'm not gonna let you have this one. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Cause like, look, uh, Morgan left, and he was the only other one who was gonna talk about this game with me. Unfortunately, mm. you guys don't give a shit. But no, um, he was gonna you know, talk it's about really it with unfortunate me. that. Morgan had to play that, and then it gets absolutely nothing back out of it because he's he's not here to have to talk about it now. <laughs> you know what's funny? That's why he quit. He's like, "Made me play this game. I'm fucking out. Like, I'm fucking this out. fucking game. Dear God, I'm out. Honestly, I'm, I'm fucking out. Honestly, I hate it. I can't play video games anymore. It's ruined video games for me. Yeah. No. Um. A couple more comments, really quickly, from uh some other people before we move on. Uh, Cornspace said, I don't think there is a resurgence exactly, but maybe just a quick break from the JRPG genre during the Xbox 360 and PS3 days. After that generation of consoles, we saw the acceleration in JRPG production on the PS4 Xbox One generation again, and the dawn of the remaster push. This remaster push is what I feel may be causing the reawakening in modern JRPGs, which is pretty hmm. similar to uh, the Kilted Gamer, I think. Um, They're remastering was, all those uh, classics like The Last of Us. Sector 7 item shop said a definite resurgence. The word on the street is that Tales of Destiny is in the mix for a remake remaster re something soon. 
I don't think anything can compare to the PS1 Golden Era, but there's definitely some great progression and focus going on. Uh, shit ain't real. This is the one, this is the comment that really, I, I had to think about it for a minute. I don't necessarily agree with everything said here, but he made some really interesting points. Okay. I don't think let's, the PS1 let's era Let's hear was it. I might have to go take a shit and ruminate. <laughs> I don't think the PS1 era was the golden age of JRPG. Were there a lot of them? Yes. Did they have good narratives, dialogues, and graphics? No. The JRPG has only gotten better with time. I think it really came into itself in the late PS2 era and became the best during the PS3 360 era. And I was like, not that I disagreed with it, but I was just taken so aback by that because I was like, how could anyone think that the PS1 era was not the golden age? And I was like, you know what? That's my age mm. speaking right there. <laughs> and like, that's my... Yeah, no, that is your... Yeah, because I'm, I'm a weird... I, it's the Super Nintendo. They, they had the widest variety and some of the coolest stuff going on there. Yeah, I mean... In my did, opinion, but... Did, did, oh, come on, guys. Sakoden 2 has a vampire named Necklord and a talking sword with a vendetta. <laughs> it all happens 16 <laughs> hours in and has nothing to do with the main plot whatsoever. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah, but like... Looking at his opinion objectively, you know, a lot of the dialogue in the PS1 JRPGs was yeah. pretty, pretty bad. But then, I mean, I think that's kind of the a style. A lot of that is... It's like, that's that's the style as well. You look at a lot of anime, well, a well, lot of anime doesn't not, necessarily no, it, have the highest not, quality of dialogue either. But that's kind of where... That's that's more about the culture a, and not... That's localization. The quality. That's localization, not... Some of it is. Some of it is the anime is just kind of big melodramatic plot lines in a lot of ways and so you get these big larger than life sort of plot points and emotions going on and then you get poor translation and a lot a lot of games in the ps1 era were just rough we did not by the put time they got to america in, in localization the way we do now yeah, like uh, that's like, really what it is. I've a, I've mentioned this a few times a before, but like, I feel it wasn't until Vagrant Story that anyone anyone gave a fuck about localization as its own art, and that game was so yeah. perfectly localized that people took note of it when it happened, and it got a lot better than that afterwards. Um, Final Fantasy IX is one of the better localized Final Fantasies. Absolutely. Um, on the PS1, because there, 7 I'm, was rough. There was bad translations, just typos all over the place. 8 had a lot of stuff done better than that, but the story was so weird that it was still hard to parse anyway. Um, They unfortunately didn't rechange Chicken Wuss to something else. Yeah. Shut up, Chicken Wuss. Yeah, and then... Like, it did. It did. In a lot of ways, he's right about things getting better just because a, a lot of that was just squarely on localization being a focus finally instead of yeah. being an afterthought because even things like a, a, a lot of the super nintendo games that i've talked about being in the golden age i played via fan translations because no one cared to do that at the time like yeah. Localized Mother 3 is somehow still a fucking thing. How have they not localized Mother 3? I told you. I got a hold of that completely legitimately. Stop asking me about it. 
but like, but like you see what I mean? Like, it's just, there's been much more of a focus on that since then. And that has been really cool that we've gotten well, the Reggie stories said he played it. more in line with how they were originally meant to be told. And that's, yeah. that, that has been an absolute improvement that's kind of continued to get better. Yeah. Yeah. I like one of the things that he said that I actually very much agree with is the graphics. Obviously the PS one era was very limited in what they were doing and they were trying a lot of new things. And I think the PS two was a markedly big jump up. I remember the first time playing final fantasy 10 and just being absolutely mesmerized with everything that was happening in that game. Uh, visually. Final Fantasy X was incredible. But, um... <laughs> Rich, did you look at that meme I just sent? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. While Josh was talking, and I was listening, <laughs> I saw a meme on social media that says, Beyond Meat, Beyond Sausage. <laughs> and the meat <laughs> looks like four dicks being hidden in package. Four sad triple dicks. <laughs> Why? How? Who approved this packaging? <laughs> like, it, this is not even an artificial meat thing. It's a, generally, these are frozen and shipping just so this doesn't happen. Just yeah, for, specifically exactly. for this reason. It's fucking amazing. Like, while Josh, while you were saying shit, I was trying so hard not to laugh. And then I, I was talking and I saw Rich. He was trying so hard not to laugh. I was like, all right, he looked at the same thing I just mm-hmm. said. So... Uh, anyways, um, oh god, yeah the 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 thing was like, I I think in some ways the original Final Fantasy VII was better, and in some ways the remake was better. But part of the reason why Rich and I took so much to liking that game was the visual upgrade, and it's fascinating to imagine how visual upgrades affect everything. Like I I can tell you right now, as we're gonna talk about here in a little bit, the Saga Frontier remaster has uh like the graphical improvement has been amazing. And as we continue to see remasters and remakes, um, hopefully they can go back to some of the, some more of those lesser known PS one JRPGs and give them a fresh coat of paint and people can understand and appreciate why a lot of people hearken back to that era as the golden age of RPGs, whether or not you agree with it is fine, but there was a lot of potential there that, honestly was left on the plate just because of the limitations of technology at the time and them trying to figure out how to pursue getting the most out of those systems, which I think really started coming into Mm -hmm. play during the PS2 era. So in some ways I do agree with shit ain't real um, in in those regards. But um, to say that the PS1 era wasn't the golden age i think that you know that's going to be more subjective person to person obviously josh said the snes era was very yeah. good for rpgs which he's right yeah yeah and um, like i feel like the ps1 yeah, I agree with that. I, the, the like growth was so exponential like ps2 the growth was so exponential moving into the 3d era that there's a lot of really cool stuff that was done but everything just kept building on that just straight line until now um and so, yeah, it, it, it can be a little rough seeing some of the early 3D attempts whenever that was just not something we knew what the hell to do with. Um, it's a straight line yeah. to Ape Escape, and that's the best video games we've ever been. Yep. Sadly, it's been regressing since then. Haven't, haven't topped it. Mm. 
<laughs> there you go. Um, but I'm, that's going to pretty much wrap up the topic. Um, like I said, if you ever want to comment on these, please feel free to go over to the Instagram, the Swordchomp Instagram, and leave us a comment, and we will try and do our best to read them all on the show. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a quick bathroom break. And after that, we will be back to talk about the whole armada of games that we've been brewing up to talk about over the past few weeks. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Hey, Josh. Hey, Shay. You know what I was thinking about this week? I want to spend my money on a lot of different things, like a wall clock, a face mask, a puzzle, and a t-shirt. You know where I could spend that kind of money? I was thinking about webbed feet, but if you want all that, you can find it at store.swordchomp.com. Oh, store.swordchomp.com. And I've heard they have a bunch of different logos, too. I've heard they have the Swordchomp logo, the Chomping After Dark logo, and they just recently got up the In the Blood and the Evoking the Sublime logo as well. The rumors are true. Well, that's good. That's good. So if you out there are interested at all, head to store.swordchomp.com. That's store.swordchomp.com. See you there. And we are back from our break. Um, Just to fill you in on the break. No, I'm just kidding. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> going for- <laughs> going forward, uh, there's one thing that I did forget to mention in the intro that I actually want to do mention now is um, one of the things that we've been discussing over the past few weeks, and this is before even Morgan left, um, we had actually sat down to have this really big meeting between the four of us before um, that announcement took place, but one of the big things that we discussed in our meeting was... Um, providing this this place of being a more positive environment obviously um we weren't always successful with that in the past with both fish and morgan and even amongst ourselves we haven't been the greatest at that and um even with some of the games we talk about and how we talk about them we haven't always been the most positive and sometimes yeah there there are things to say that aren't going to be positive obviously we're not going to sh- ever shy away from that if we need to Um, but we did have a talk about being more positive because in this community that, um, we are fortunate to have and be a part of, um, that we want to cultivate that kind of positivity going forward. And it's something that we kind of, we're getting away from. That's something that we were saying we want to continue to do and be a part of. And then we weren't following through with that. So going forward, we wanted to be you know uh transparent about that that we haven't done the greatest job uh about that we really haven't and you know there have been times where we've even added to the cacophony of noise of negativity about something and going forward we are going to do a better job of that and we want our actions to kind of display that and the reason why i thought about including it here now is because we're about to talk about a bunch of games and um yeah, there may be some negative things that we have to say about them, but I think going forward, hopefully you're going to hear us be a lot more positive, even if it's something that we don't like. Um, we want to start framing it that way because there's enough negativity amongst gamers and in the gaming community that we kind of want to shy away from that. You know, it's something that um, 
that, that that was kind of one of our mission statements from the beginning. Whether or not we follow through with that, followed through with that is irrelevant at this point. We, we you know obviously we haven't done the greatest job. The only thing we can do is show that going forward and embody that going forward. So, um, yeah, I, I I wanted to mention that that's something that I think we needed to kind of own up to, and I had forgotten to do that in the intro, and so I wanted to own up to it on behalf of the three of us now that we need to do a better job of that. And um, yeah, we'll leave it at that because we have some fucking games to talk about, guys. Guys, we haven't talked about games in weeks. Weeks. What have we been doing? Finally, we can talk about Honey Pop too. Well, I can tell you what Rich has been doing along with Josh. Have I talked about that on the show? Oh yes, let's yes, let's, you let's did. okay. Yeah, yeah, yes, you, you no, have. Okay, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. you already talked about it. Um, not gonna get back into no, it. No, one one thing I can tell tell you guys that. Uh, J- Josh and Rich have been doing over the past week or so has been playing Returnal. So you guys want to talk about that for a little bit? Like, what is Returnal? Sure. Is it good? Is it bad? Returnal Are you glad is that you got uh, it? what's up with it? The aside from Demon Souls, it is the first true blue PS5 exclusive um, from Sony Housemark, uh, creators of the lovely Rezo Gun. For all of those of you familiar, um. I went into Returnal expecting to like it. I like it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, Conceptually, it is a roguelite, meaning it is a run-based game with some progression carrying through for each run. Uh, It is a third-person, almost like bullet-hellish shooter. Uh, It is a game with a lot going on on screen. The basic hook of it is... You are some sort of astronaut in some sort of, you know, far future sci-fi setting who is crashed on this planet and finds yourself in a time loop where you are trying to make your way through what starts out as a forest. And when you die, you wake back up in the middle of the crash. Um, I think the thing that surprised me is one the game looks great, plays great. Uh, I, I'm in like the second area still a sort of deserty area. Uh, there's a lot more narrative in it than I first expected. Like I knew there'd be stuff buried, but I find it way more intriguing on the surface um, than I thought I would. And that's, what's really pushing me through that on top of the fact that I do think the gameplay is really, really fucking solid. Like it, when everything clicks, it just feels sort of amazing. Uh, Before I I toss it over to Josh to give his initial impressions. One thing I wanted to say, and I kind of want your take on this, Josh, my sell for this game is it sort of feels like, and I've heard other people say similar things. It feels like if a studio set out to make Metroid today, this is what it would be like. It's not Mm. a Metroid game, but it shares so much DNA. I feel like in terms of like its progression. And then obviously there's like character similarities along those lines. It's just, it's a thought that's been racing through my head as I played this game. Yeah, yeah, no, I can I can see a lot of that. It is Hmm. It it is weird. It is it is from everything I've seen so far a rogue light where you get progression, but it's not none of it's power based. It's all unlocking stuff you can do. Um for example, you'll eventually get a melee attack which allows you to get through like different barriers and whatnot. Um and you can get like a grappling shot sort yeah. of a deal um 
none of which make you strictly stronger. They just allow you to... To access new areas. Yes, to access new areas and to, if you want to, skip ahead. Go, like, um, the big major thing is after you beat the boss in the first of an area, yeah. biome, you'll get You're the key. a key. You'll get a key that lets you access the teleporter to the next area, which on subsequent runs you can just use without having to fight that boss again you can fight that boss if you want to there's no reason you have to yeah if you you, if you decide that okay i'm good enough at this boss now that me fighting it means i'm not going to lose a lot of health and maybe i'll get some good upgrades from it you can decide that you want to fight a boss um which kind of leads to a really cool risk-reward sort of feeling on all your subsequent playthroughs um, where you can skip through stuff. You can just go to working on the hard thing that you're trying to progress on. Or you can go back through and redo stuff, which is something that... It feels... It's not identical, but it feels very similar to kind of how Spelunky does its progression. We're like, okay, you've proven you can get to this biome enough times. We'll just allow you to teleport directly here from the start of a run, is how yeah. Spelunky handles it. This is not the same thing. You still have to find the teleporter to get to the next biome and whatnot. But also, but, that room might be like nowhere near the boss. It might be like this third room you encounter might just be the elevator to the next biome. In my experience, the teleporter has always been much closer than the boss. Not always, yeah. but... It seems to be favored to letting you just get to the teleporter and move on to the next area if you want to. If that's what you want to do, yeah. Yeah, um, which is a really cool way to do it. Um, it kind of it leads to this feeling of mastery of a lot of the different enemy types and a lot of the areas, which is something that I think Spelunky does really well. Like, Spelunky is exacting with how you interact with the world in a way that this game is not as much it's it's still pretty tough it's still it's still a bullet hell game a 3d bullet hell game that you'll have to learn enemy patterns and stuff you gotta be air dodging (laughs) yeah um but still it's not like one hit will kill you sort of like in spelunky so it's it's still it's not that exacting but it 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 gets across a lot of the same progression sort of a feeling that that game does, which is really satisfying. It's something I wasn't expecting for from this game. It it, it just it it somehow manages to nail that with a sense. It's different. It manages to to get that feeling across with is completely different mechanics, completely different systems in place to give you that same sort of a progression feeling to it, which is really cool. Um, The big difference from there is enemies will get harder on later runs as you go. It Um, seems to have a degree of scaling as you move forward. Yeah. Yeah. It'll kind of scale with you. Like I, I don't know if it's, I'd I'd have to like look into the actual system level side of stuff, but it seems to be after you beat a boss in a biome, on subsequent runs, every enemy in there will have additional attacks um, to give you new stuff to learn. Um, the, but yeah, it's, 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 it's not identical, but it, it, it really gets across that feeling in a really cool way. 
the the other thing I think is really strong here. I, I guess I was expecting less from it than the actual mechanical stuff, knowing what House Mark does and what they do best. Mm-hmm. The sort of like psychological horror aspect to it is played really well. Um, without getting like too spoiler heavy, th- there's some s- sections you can access that are like more like narrative cutaways in it. Um, that give you an idea of what's going on in this time loop. And I think one of the strongest choices are there are audio logs you can find in your runs. And when you find them, you find them on your own corpse. Um, yeah. And the bit is always like, it's you recording an audio log, but it's like what you're hearing hasn't happened to you yet, but it's a time loop. So it's like, it's you talking about what's been going on, but yeah, it's, it's you in the past and the future. Yeah. And the, there's like some interesting like tidbits where you hear your character talking about like being concerned about encountering herself and what that would mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually hope they pay that off and do something interesting with that. Yeah, it, it's the, the, I'm I'm way more intrigued by the the narrative than I, I thought I was going to be in this game. Yeah, yeah, no, that I'm I am with you on that because it. Roguelites, roguelites have just kind of traditionally been more about setting up the world, and then you kind of make your own fun in them. Is kind of make your own story, at yeah. least. At least, like, I'm I'm a weirdo. Whenever whenever I talk about these games, I'm I'm talking not rogue itself, but like all the first gen offshoots of that stuff, like. Uh, net hack and the like so much of it is about setting up a world and then allowing you to just kind of run make your make your own story with it as you go through um and i've it seems like a lot of games have been trying to tackle the implications of what a rogue like gameplay system would the actually H- mean Hades for has been the gold standard for that so far exactly exactly with Returnal's like, okay, doing a good job with it wh- what if you replaying the game over and over and over again is in universe um and there are some and really Returnal cool implications similar idea yeah yeah and this the, exactly exactly this is along the same you know lineage as something like Hades, sure... of like what 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 does this mean and what narrative can we make with that as a concept i'm sure it'll get old eventually but i do like the sort of flourish of again where the time loop starts in this game is you crashing onto this planet's surface and they like kind of flourish it up and change it around a little every time like sometimes you wake up like slumped over the console of your ship sometimes you wake up outside like you've been thrown out like they mm-hmm. they keep it fresh in in ways that are intriguing enough Obviously, that can only go so far, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's 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 interesting because uh, um, with just like the eight, like the minor differences to the beginning. Uh, you mentioned this earlier with the Metroid-like properties of it, but um, getting a new power up or or essentially any of the upgrades that you keep with you on a run will give you access to new stuff in the early biomes that you just couldn't get to before stuff that you could always see like your first run of the game you'll see grapple points that you can't get to um and then later on you'll be able to access those areas or you'll have you know something to get through a different 
they're not they're not color coded doors like Metroid, but they're they're basically just color coded doors more or less. It's you know it's a different idea. Yeah. Um, There's alien ciphers like you're, you're deciphering different parts of alien language in every biome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's lots of cool flourishes to the gameplay. There's a whole system where um you can take kind of a roll of the dice on getting certain items where you risk a chance of mal- uh, like a malfunction within your suit. Um, there are parasites you can pick up that have good effects and bad effects. Some of them purely good. Um, some of them, you know, you have to kind of weigh your options on, like you get buffs later in the game where it's like, Hey, you do 10% more damage when you have three parasites attached to you. So you kind of got to like weigh your options on what you want to keep. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, this game really does a lot with just roguelites as, as a, as a concept. Um, in really cool ways that I'm just, I'm really, I've really been impressed by. I've really been impressed by the thought that's gone into all the systems they've put in place oh, in this. I'm now very disappointed in myself because I didn't talk yet about how well this game uses HD rumble. And aside from like an Astro's playroom, I think it is the first PS5 game that's doing it in a meaningful way. Um, and even you who, who were hesitant on it agree with me on this. We talked about this a little bit. Privately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so responsive. Like, there's a lot of stuff where you feel like the patter of rain on your body and stuff. And that's just, you know, purely stylistic stuff. But one of the bigger things is there's a very strong vibration and a distinct tone when your alt fire on your weapons recharge. Mm-hmm. And we, I think it is so much better than a visual cue because you have your HUD and keeping an eye on a visual cue on, you know, a busy HUD can be annoying sometimes, but I hear that tone and I'm like, oh great, I can pop that off again. And I know exactly what that is. And it's exactly. so effective. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, the, the UX and especially the UI portion of that in this game is outstanding. Um, with let, let's, um, not going to get into everything, but let's go, let's keep moving with the alt fire as a, Shining microcosm of, of exactly how this all works so perfectly. Um, your alt fire has an audio component that is very, very low in the mix whenever you're just exploring around whatever. But if you pull down on the alt fire to bring it up like you're going to fire, it will bring it up to the top of the mix. Like, okay, let's bring, make this thing as loud as possible so you can understand based off of the tone because it's it's a sound that changes from the cooldown just started to it's about to be ready you can tell based off of you know a tenth of a second listening to that tone how close you how are how close you are to being able to fire to being that, able yeah. to fire your alt fire again um to the rumble it's got a special rumble just for when the alt fire is ready again to the visual part of it you have your 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 crosshair will change and it will do like a, a different animation and um make it very obvious like it's not distracting you can still just keep playing the game but your your reticle changes whenever that cooldown's back up it's just it's reinforcing things on multiple levels so you're, you you always feel like you are prepared for whatever the challenges they throw at you, which get to be pretty insane later on, because this is a bullet hell roguelike. Um, by the time you're like this on a, on yeah. a fundamental level, that's that's what you're doing. You don't really need to be putting a ton of brain power into cooldown management and something like this. 
Um, and they do a good job of bringing things to your attention without being distracting in this game. Um, and that kind of that kind of shows the attention to detail they put in to everything. Um, the the sound is excellent on that on from from a UI standpoint, but also from just an atmospheric standpoint. Uh, just listening to the rain in the first biome is excellent. The wind blowing through the desert in the second biome, like it it all just stands out as excellent. And then the music is very atmospheric, sort of sci-fi, textural type music, but it is amazing. Like this is just a standout soundtrack for being what it's supposed to be, the job it's doing. Yeah. Um, That's a lot of heavy lifting in spots. It's that's cool, man. Yeah, real good. It's not like it's it's interesting. Like with with the past year of you largely playing indie games, it's really cool to see that you're enjoying what, I don't know if this is necessarily a AAA title, but it's fairly close to being one if it's not. And it's cool to hear that both of you are really enjoying this game. I've heard nothing but good things other than the minor glitches or issues that the game has had. I've heard that it's an amazing game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got... I'm still not sure how many glitches are just glitches glitches and how many are system-wide well, things because there have to, been... To be quite honest with you, they just rolled back a patch. Um, that, okay. That first patch caused some problems. They just rolled it back. Okay. Uh, it, it broke a few things, is my understanding, so... That makes sense because my first day was basically flawless and then my second couple days were a nightmare because of... And this is not a bug or anything. This is just a dog shit design choice you can't save in the middle of a run. There should be a quick save option to be able to stop, turn your console off, watch a show if you want to, do whatever. There's, there's, there is zero reason to That's not be able the, to save in the middle of a run. The one big thing that bugs um, me, we talked about this, so I won't harp on it, about like it feels maybe like that might have been a deliberate design choice, but I have a feeling, if possible, they're going to change that because they've been very vocal about being like, we hear you on that, uh, we're we're working on it. Uh, so I I think that will come to this game. At some yeah, point. I I hope it'll come just from a usability standpoint. But if it existed as is, being able to save and restart your system to fix one of the bugs that are currently happening would cause the whole thing to just work infinitely better. If a bug yes. didn't tank your run whenever it pops up. Um, Because currently a bug can show up at any point during a couple hour plus run of this game. And that's just a lot of progress. And and again, it's a rogue light. So you're not losing, losing the progress, but you're losing something. You're you're losing a lot of time on hopefully being able to see something new. And that's just I feel it's like really frustrating whenever one of those things happens. Recently recently playing one of the best rogue like games in recent memory with Hades, where you still get something even if you fail a run, I think it's pretty hard or it's pretty easy to look at something like you like Returnal and say, like, yeah, some of those games are predicated on being more difficult. But if you're not getting anything whatsoever for your run, or you're getting next the the, the return on investment is not worth it. Then, the return on investment? Yeah. 
I, I should have thought of that as soon as I said it. But no, the return on investment, if it's not good enough, then yeah, I mean, like, it's going to be frustrating no matter how you look at it. So I, I think Hades has kind of set a precedent for these styles of games going forward, unfortunately and fortunately in some ways. So hopefully we'll, we'll give the, the developers the benefit of the doubt and hope that they, uh, they kind of fix some of those issues and make it more user-friendly. But um, yeah. I'll be excited to hear uh, what you guys have to say about it when eventually that, that update comes and hopefully fix some of those things. But yeah, it's it's a game that I wanted to play, but obviously I don't have a PS5 right now, so I'll have to wait until I get one to play this game. But it's one I'm actually excited yeah. to kind of play. So yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I kind of got I got a little distracted there, but again, some of it I think is on the dev side, but also a lot of PS5 games I've been playing have been fairly buggy, um, and I have to wonder how much of that is just kind of on a hardware level where maybe they made well, this thing really difficult. I don't think really that's true, Josh, because there aren't a lot of PS5 games. Well, There's but, two. I mean, yeah, exactly. But like, this and Miles Morales both having really I meant Demon Souls. awkward bugs that shouldn't exist. Yeah, like, it's kind of, I don't know. There's got to be some quirks to developing on the system that. Oh are, yeah, I'm sure. Are just yeah, have not been resolved yet, and uh, hopefully it's not something where the system is flawed on a fundamental level, where it just it it ends up being a problem permanently. Because I very much doubt that. I have um, I have restarted my PS5 more in the six months that I've had it than I restarted my PS4 in the entire time I owned it. It just it just it's that unstable compared to the last console um yeah, yeah. Okay. so well let's let's check back in with that game <clears throat> excuse me a little bit later on let's get to some other games though yeah we have so much to talk about um rich i don't know how much you want to talk about this with josh i'm sure i'm sure you want to the new pokemon snap has dropped uh it is a game that a lot of people have been waiting for um it is not We've not seen the original since the N64 game, which came out in, I believe, 97, if uh, memory serves correctly. 1999, I believe. 99, if memory serves correctly. <laughs> I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been over 20 years, and uh, it's kind of crazy. Like, I, I was excited for this game, and then I thought about like how much fun I had with uh, Pokemon Go and how I kind of like sated that curiosity. But then with the, yeah, I still kind of was intrigued. I wasn't ready to quite pull the trigger on it yet because I was still immersed in Saga Frontier and then some other games have recently come out. But I know you two got around to it and I'm really curious to hear what you guys think about um, what, what you guys wanted to talk about in regards to the new Pokemon Snap. So guys want to take it away I, i'm really excited yeah to hear about it. um so i mean we, we could probably stay brief on this one because i haven't played too much of it uh put a few hours in known quantity man and that's not a bad thing uh like yeah. it is more pokemon snap it is you get in your little pod it, it goes on its rails you got your camera you take pictures of pokemon um yep i haven't unlocked enough areas say this is definitely the case but one of the things i really like is it seems like each area has a day and a night cycle, um, meaning you can go in during the day or you can go in at night, and there are different things going on and different Pokemon out depending on that. Yes. Um, 
like one of the things in the first area I absolutely love is if you go there during the day, there's a tree towards the end where you can see a sleeping hoot hoot um, inside the little uh, little hole in the tree. And if you go back at night, he is awake and hanging out on the branches and being nocturnal and shit. Um, mm-hmm. Just, you know, a lot of fun, like photo modes have really taken off since Pokemon Snap has been a thing. So there's a ton of like, uh, there's like an album functionality where you can put stickers on your photos and customize them and save them and share them. Getting a lot of points for taking pictures of Bidu's asshole. Uh, it's, uh. it's just kind of delightful. Um, trying to get these different poses. I think, I don't know about how you feel about it, Josh. It took me a little while to figure out like the, the grading and, and what these like four different star variations mm. were because they don't seem to be about quality. They're about poses. Yeah. And this is something, God, it's been forever since I played the original. So I can't remember if it was identical, but I think this is the way it was where essentially you wanted different poses of each Pokemon. Um, anyway, other games have done this since then. Like this is, it's, it's literally identical to, uh, um, Penko park, which is a Pokemon snap like that. I loved from last year. Um, which, I think is getting a bunch of new free DLC here shortly, which I'm excited to go back and play as well. Um, where essentially each Pokemon, you're trying to get a picture of it. Um, but also there are four different poses or activities, essentially, that you want pictures of the Pokemon doing. I love activities. Um like okay, like trying to essentially like different behaviors. Like okay, we're like we're like a sort of you know nature study. Like okay, we we need pictures of this thing uh, eating, swimming, and you know mating. We we need to get yeah. some fucking Pokemon in here. Um, like type pictures. Dude, if I don't, if um, I don't get that picture wait. of Quagsire jumping in the lake, I'm gonna lose my mind. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. I I. So with you talking about this, I need to know one thing. If so, you're telling me if I'm in the game and I'm sitting down by the lake, just kind of relaxing with my camera, you know, with the strap around the back of my neck, and it's it's a little breezy, like you're getting that little breeze. Um, you're kind of near the the lake, so obviously you're getting some of that cool breeze, bristling your neck hairs and whatnot. Um, you're telling me that I could see an onyx fucking another onyx in the distance, and I can take a picture of that. Yeah, just like kind of tangled up on each other. Onyx? They're in coitus. Get, get, getting their rocks off. around each other. It's really a yeah, shame that they like don't that. do that. It's really a shame, but yeah, it's, it's essentially <laughs> the same sort of thing. Um, the, the major frustration I've had with this, and this is something that's been fixed in other games, like, for example, Panko Park, that I was just talking about, is... Just like the original Pokemon Snap, you can turn in one picture of a Pokemon per run. Um, and if you have more than one pose you're trying to get, well, if you got more than one on a certain run, you can't turn in both. You've got to pick which photo you want to show to the professor at the end of, uh, at the end of a run to, uh, to have graded and go in the Pokedex. And he goes, Wow. Um, which is why, like, why, why did they bring that back? That's been fixed since then. It would be easy enough to code it. So it's a picture of a Pokemon and 
pose that they're looking for. Like you can turn it in for both. Like wh- why why did they not fix that? Uh, it's nah, just man. because um, they want pro gamers like you cheesing the system. Yeah, I guess so. Like it it's it do, it would drastically cut down the number of runs that I have to do through an area to get I got that everything picture I need. of magic art jumping and I worked hard for it. Mm. But other than that, I think it does some good things. Uh, the original Pokemon Snap was obviously built on the 64. So there was only one analog stick. They do an interesting thing here where you are can like it's it's on rails, so there's no moving and controlling the stick. So essentially, you have two sticks to control one camera. Um, and they do a, an interesting thing where your right stick essentially just controls looking with your head like you'd always assume it would. And the left stick controls where you are focusing on a given area. So you can, like, focus on the Pokemon you want to do. Um, and either of those will eventually move the other sort of a deal. Um, but yeah, using them both in tandem, you can move a lot faster. Too. Exactly, which is I think that's a really cool way of doing it because if yes. you want to like turn quickly, you turn both sticks, and it will add the two things together, like your normal turn and speed yeah, with the camera plus the give other you thing. faster movement to flip around and because again, it's one of those games where multiple runs are a key part of it, and that's because there's so much going on at any given moment that you're like, oh, I you can't, can't I possibly see... see everything going around. I... I didn't even see the all time. these Caterpie like the first time I came through. And there's mm-hmm. just like a bunch of Caterpie climbing in the trees above you. They also added a, a scan feature so you can like kind of one. They say I think it's like supposed to be the flashbulb on the camera. So for certain Pokemon, it'll like get their attention. Like they'll turn to look yeah, at you because yeah, they yeah. see the flashbulb yeah. go off. Um, but there's also seems to be some kind of experience level per each area, which the professor notes that it's Pokemon getting more comfortable with you. So it's easier to get them to do certain poses the more times you've run through an area. Yeah, essentially, um, it's essentially your Pokedex level. Um, like whenever you've had better pictures of each of them, because for each pose you're trying to get a better score of it. If Munchlax knows you've got his flattering side, then exactly. he's down to pose for exactly. you. Exactly, exactly. If, if, he, if he knows you're not going to make this some sort of hit piece with him looking... You know, You're not some fifteen pound he- heavier bag. Yeah, um, TMZ jerks. Exactly. He'll be he'll be more comfortable with you. Um, I mean, yeah. It. I hate to say, like, if it's it's Pokemon Snap, if you you know if you'll like it or not, because it's been fucking forever since the original Pokemon Snap. That's not a thing that we can reliably say. We're, oh, yeah. you know if you like Pokemon Snap at this point, but like that's kind of my opinion of it. I I am absolutely loving this. Uh, it's it's more Pokemon fun. Snap. Um, it is like I said before well, we were starting the show. Like my favorite way to start a Sunday is well, like I've had like one, two, two maybe. I don't know. I can't keep track of the days <laughs> since this launched. Um, is like Sunday morning. Make a coffee. I go sit outside while the sun's coming up and just play some Pokemon Snap. Yeah. Well, that actually brought me to the main question I've had this entire time um is that with pokemon go constantly getting updates with pokemon go and and granted obviously the i think the popularity in western culture has largely fallen off for that game i mean it's still fairly popular here in japan and i'm sure 
there are pockets of people who really enjoy that game in the US and other Western cultures. But with that game existing, where basically you could take screenshots in the real world while you're playing of all the Pokemon you catch, what 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 is the big allure that like if I was an avid Pokemon Go player, which I'm not, but if I was to pick this game up? Or just even in general, like a Pokemon fan who is who has no kind of um excuse me experience with the original pokemon snap game what's the allure here like if you guys could kind of like in just a few sentences kind of sum up why Um, you think it's still a viable game to pick up at a 60 dollar price tag it's a different experience it's a chill experience it's just kind of about taking in the environments and seeing pokemon in a way you don't normally except for maybe outside of the anime just seeing them like you know in or in nature it, it is a game about going on a nature safari but for japanese monsters yeah and like i i had a lot of fun just taking random pictures of pokemon around the house doing stupid things like because i mean honestly if if you're not a moron you can find ways to specifically put the pokemon where you want for these pictures because Pokemon Go should have been Pokemon Snap. Like it, it <laughs> just it al- Pokemon Pokemon Go allows you to recenter your camera whenever you want to. So like, yeah, you can you can put it where you want to, guys. Like it's it's uh, not a matter of Garfield Go. I'm, I'm ruining I'm ruining s- the Photoshop Instagram secrets of Pokemon Go here. But like, put it where you want. Like it's 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 uh it's a uh, whereas this one in in Pokemon Snap. It's much more about finding them where they are and trying to get a good shot out of that. Um, that yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's it's I, yeah. Anyway, it's kind the of the camera loves you, Metapod. I, I I couldn't help but laughing. And I was sitting here muted and I was kind of just like zoning out, listening to what you're saying. And you said moron, and that word suddenly triggers me now <laughs> after what's happened in recent <laughs> weeks. I can't I can't think uh, of that word normally anymore no um yeah no it's it's, no it's it's, yeah it's it's fair like i still think like yeah i still think it's perfectly feasible the original pokemon snap was an amazing game and i think you guys have a good point that um something like uh pokemon go you're not going to see a bunch of pokemon in the world kind of existing all together on your phone screen you're going to see one or you're going to see a few i don't know if it if that's changed now, because I haven't played since like the original when it first came out, but yeah, I, it's been yeah, a few like with, months, but yeah, I, I don't think you can see more than one in a screenshot. No, I don't think so, unless they changed so that. Either. So yeah, so I mean that's that's one really cool thing. It feels like an actual interactive world, um, which I think is yeah, it's it's essentially kind of like I would think of it as um, kind of like going to Disney World. Um, and it, it, too bad this game isn't in VR. Cause I would, I think that would be even way better. Like if, if Nintendo wanted record, to hop have... on the VR train completely, like not with just the Labo, but completely, this would have been the game to do it because like, yeah, it no, would have been would be ex- awesome to just be in this world. Shay, it, it's, it's funny you say what you're saying, because I've been saying since super Nintendo world became a thing, Pokemon snap should be a ride in super Nintendo world. Like you get in the little cart and there's a camera mounted on it and you're going through yeah. uh, and taking pictures of the Pokemon. And then at the end of the ride, you can buy the pictures of the Pokemon you took. Exactly. That'd like cool. in, like going to Disney World and you, you shoot as many aliens as you can on the Buzz Lightyear ride. And you get Nintendo? your score at the end. Like, did, did you beat all your other family members while you're there at Disney World? 
Universal, that one's for free. Yeah. Uh, hit me up. I got more ideas. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Pokemon Snap absolutely 110% needs to be a ride. Yeah, that's it. It's like yep. it, again, I immediately think of the Buzz Lightyear Disneyland ride where yeah, you're just shooting the targets, and it's the same thing but with a camera and exactly. Peach Pikachu. It'd be perfect. Cool, absolutely well, perfect. When you guys finish it up, I'm excited to get your guys' closing thoughts on on the game. So uh, yeah, it's yeah. something I might be picking yeah. up a little bit later this year. Right now, obviously with a uh, Resident Evil Eight and Mass Effect about to drop and then bio mutant gonna drop here very soon as well that i, I feel dude, I'm so stoked for bio mutant and i nearly forgot about it yeah, i know it's not i won't let us. you forget i won't let you forget about it yeah. yeah that's a day one for me do not let me forget yeah. you know what else comes out this month that i nearly forgot about goddamn shin megami tensai 3 oh okay well i don't care about that wow but anyways <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm kidding Rich. i'm sorry no um no th- th- i yeah that that is gonna be a really cool game it's it's one of yep. the series that I've always looked at, just never actually gotten into. And I know, Rich, you're going to be all over it. So <laughs> The mainline series has always been very hardcore in a way that a lot of the spinoffs have, have not been. Featuring Dante. Yeah. So that, that should, be, should be interesting. See where they go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be cool. This month is go- and next month are going to be just jam-packed with games for us to talk about. So... Um, let's get this next one out of the way really quickly. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who's played it, even though I begged you guys to play this one. Pac-Man 99, which is the new no, I played free... Pac-Man 99. Oh, you did? Well, you did play a little bit, yeah. Is the new free-to-play Battle Royale that Nintendo randomly dropped on us last month. Um, came out of nowhere, and, uh, I didn't get around to the, the Mario Battle Royale, so I figured, you know what, I'll get around to this one. And... It's pretty cool. I mean, it plays very similarly to Pac-Man. Um, if you've never played back Pac-Man, just please. I almost said Pac-Man. Uh, that's something completely different. If you've ever never played uh, tactical chiropractor action, blah, blah, blah. if you've never played Pac-Man, go look up a YouTube video. It's a very, very historical, in- influential game. Pac-Man, you say? You sit on your back, and other people flock you. But um. Anyways, so I just you know I said My that because then I knew you guys would stop the tangent, so I can actually talk about the game. Historical game, but it, you're histo- right. It's a historical figure. It's a historical game. It just it hurts to hear it that way. Pac-Man's amazing. No, oh, no, no you're saying because it's the historical part. It doesn't feel that historical to me. It's just I, a thing. No, but, man, Pac-Man uh, is good. Miss Pac-Man's amazing. Mm. Yes, but. Uh, the, the differences here are like, here, here's how it basically works. So you are playing Pac-Man like you normally would. And there are 98 other little, very, very tiny screens kind of surrounding the sides of the Pac-Man playing area that you're playing in. Now you have, of course, the four dots to eat the ghosts and you have the fruit, um, as well to kind of regenerate the, the, the smaller dots you want to eat enough smaller dots to get those fruit to appear but you also have on the sides you have little uh transparent ghosts uh outlined in blue now when you eat those it actually adds to the trail of ghosts um there there will be one ghost whoever's closest to which you eat those ghost little train if you will yes 
and it makes a train of ghosts for one of the four one of the four ghosts that chase you. And when you eat one of the big white dots, you want to eat as many of those ghosts as you can as quickly as you can, because that's how you actually attack other players. Um, the more ghosts you eat, the more ghosts you send to other people's uh, playing areas, and vice versa. If somebody eats a lot of ghosts, they put these little white transparent ghosts on your playing field, and it slows your Pac-Man down. Um, every time you eat one or every time one runs into you. So that adds an additional layer of something you have to avoid. And you can avoid those by eating the big white dots or just actually eating them and hope that the other ghosts don't catch up to you. Um, as you start getting further down, um, like from 99 to top 50, the ghosts start going a little bit faster. Uh, as you get closer to like the top 25, red transparent ghosts show up and those can also kill you uh they're slower than the other ghosts and if you eat a big white dot they will stay in place if you eat two of the big white dots they will disappear um and that's pretty much how the game is played uh, there's a little bit of customization in what type of ghosts you can send to other players like you can send faster ones or stronger ones uh and then there's just kind of like um way styles that you can play you can play as like a, a fast style or as a brutish style and that actually adds to the number of ghosts you make in a train um so there, there's some additional strategies there and it's really really interesting i i had a lot of fun with it like where something as like the original pac-man game or even miss pac-man it's fun to play for you know like a good 15 20 minutes and then i'm off it you know at tops but with this game i kept playing because i wanted first place and i was having so much fun with the additional strategy element into it um rich how did you feel about playing it um i i have more of a comparison point because i played both tetris 99 and uh mario 35 a bunch i think this is stronger than mario 35 i won't get into it there's a number of reasons mario 35 doesn't work quite as well um i still think tetris 99 is the strongest of these thus far and it, for a few simple reasons Pac-Man's fun. Everything you said works pretty well. I don't think this game does a great job of explaining all the systems that are working behind the scenes too well. Uh, you Completely use the directional buttons. Agreed. Like in Tetris 99 to choose, you know, the type of people you're targeting and the sort of abilities you're sending at them. And it's a lot of trial and error to sort of figure out what works best. They do not do a great job explaining to you how all that stuff works. But it's, it's fun. And seeing them do more of this i'm more hopeful to see what they're going to continue to do with this because we started with tetris 99 we got mario 35 now bandai namco is giving us pac-man 99 like it kind of opens the door for them to do anything like i want to see what the fuck dig dug 99 is because i bet you oh, that'll God. happen dig dug would be amazing in i this way. like yeah like i think this stuff works well enough that i just kind of can't wait to see what sort of shit they're throwing at the wall with this yeah 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 i one thing i will definitely say is that this game did not explain some things well enough a lot of it for me has been just trial and error figuring out what works and that's probably the only major knock i have on it like i didn't even think about those little different button things until i started looking at the screen around me and i was like oh i wonder what these do and then i started playing like, around and i only them. thought about that because like i said i played so much tetris 99 yeah 
Um, and that's it's all like major lifted thing directly from there. I, I'm assuming this probably also has what Tetris 99 had, which is Tetris 99 has a mode you can only play if you've won Tetris 99, where it is all people who have won uh, a game before playing. There's also a paid version of this, which Tetris 99 introduced later, um, but it's here at launch, and that has some other game modes. I didn't pick it up myself. I believe it has a single-player mode, which is interesting because it's a good way to sort of learn the game and its mm. mechanics, is my understanding. Uh, but again, like this stuff shifted because Tetris 99 wasn't even supposed to be around forever, but then they introduced that paid premium version of it because it was so popular. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I was a little bit conflicted on some of those things, and it's cool that you had the prior experiences to kind of help you. I didn't, so I had to figure pretty much everything out on my own. Like those, those white transparent ghosts that kind of slow you down. I thought you had to eat all of those at first, and I was like, why do I keep slowing down? Oh wait, these are bad, and this is how the enemy's attacking us. And then the red ones, I had to figure that out on my own. I like. Everything was kind of left to figuring out on your own. And I understand it's a yes, free-to-play yeah. game. Throwing in a tutorial is extra work and extra resources. I get that. I, like, I'm not complaining because, not complaining to complain or saying like, hey, you gave us this awesome free-to-play game, but what the fuck, Nintendo? It's not like that. It's more along the lines of, hey, it would have been nice if this was there. It wasn't, and it's yeah. not the end of the world. There's still a lot of fun to be had in the game. Um, I've made it to second place about three or four times now. Um, oh, I still God. have yet. We need Donkey Kong ninety nine. That'd be dope. That'd be um, cool. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, I, that's, I'm, that's I'm still it, poking that is... away at it here and there. It's fun. It it is to pick up for a few minutes, like a play a few rounds. It's fun. Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the a whole, really the whole good... lack of a tutorial Go thing ahead. has been an issue with the last two as well, with Tetris and with Mario versions of this. They've basically just immediately thrown you into the deep end. Figure it out. Has been the way all of those have worked so far with essentially no tutorialization of how attacking your actual opponents goes. You play the game and they kind of explain that, but like they assume you'll just, just mess around with stuff and figure out how the actual player interaction goes. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very weird. It is not, it's mostly fine. It's not the great, like I I wish it were better, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things that's yeah. kind of like, it's weird that they don't explain it, but you'll you'll eventually figure it out. So listen, if everybody understood Tetris ninety nine, I never would have won it. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> that's probably how well, I won that's... the games of Tetris that I did win. It's because somebody that's didn't what's know what was going cool. on. Like, I, I've had a few friends over to like check it out, and um. It's it's fun to see how they play because obviously I've played a little bit more and I I'm more familiar with games than I think that my friends and so I kind of have my strategies for getting where I get to and watching friends just have no strategy go into it and like play 70th and I'm like I bet you the people at the top are like I hope these type of people come in and play this game because then that allows me to get to the top sooner kind of thing but um yeah it's it's also a really good party game actually if you um not that i've had a party Mm. or anything obviously we're still in COVID times it's uh friends who live in my building that i i know uh take as much precautions as i do um uh two friends that actually live together i've had them come up and play it and i watch them and it's fun it's fun to just like pass a controller back and forth and play this game 
You're like me at uh, the holidays and my family, while I go home, my family be like, look, we got the, the SNES classics. We can play video games. And I'm like, you guys are bad at this. And then I just take it for the rest of the night and don't <laughs> talk to anyone. Uh, well, not step bad, aside. I, I at least like to share. No, I'm like to I'm, share with my family. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm pretty cruel. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about the game. It's a really fun game. If nobody's played it, it's completely free. It's definitely worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. So. It's completely free unless you don't want it to be. Hey, uh, hey, or if you don't have a switch and that, and that place, I'm being privileged as fuck here. Or if you don't have switch online. or the switch online. Yeah. Oh, that's true too. I'm double privileged. I'm a piece of shit. Um, no, well, I the switch <laughs> online is still cheaper than replicant. the other two, but yeah, that's true. That's okay. True. I can talk to you about near replicant. Um, yeah. I am playing near replicant, a bunch, a bunch of numbers. It's the square root of 1.5. Ha we get it. Yokotaro. Um, this is essentially the remaster slash remake of the original Nier. Um, I feel like up front I should explain the difference here because I feel like a lot of people are confused as to what's happening. And my history-focused brain uh, led me down a Wikipedia hole to find out exactly what I was playing. And I, we've talked about this before. I was trying to figure out the whole Drakengard thing. So, one of the endings of Drakengard 1... At the end of that game, a god is killed and falls on the planet, and that's near. Near is is that Drakengard ending leads into this. So this is the original near. When when near first launched, there were two versions of it. There was near uh, replicant, and there was near Gestalt. Um, we only got Gestalt in the U.S. for the PS3. The main difference between replicant and Gestalt, as far as I know, the only difference is the protagonist. Um. In Replicant, he is the brother to a character named Yona, who is who is sick, and he's trying to find this cure for her ailment. In Gestalt, he is sort of a grisly father figure. So, so this time we got Replicant, where you play as the brother. And that is sort of the focus of the first part of this game, this sort of post-apocalypse apocalypse universe where... Um, there are these things called shades that uh, roam about, like these sort of shadow creatures... And your sister gets affected with this sickness, and the big first part of the game is about you going off and trying to find a cure for this. I am now past that point. I don't want to talk too much about what happens after, like, the first ten hours, but it's one of those things where I was kind of like, yeah, sure, when a lot of people are going, no, it's a different game uh, once you get to this point. And it very much is. It's kind of crazy, honestly. Um, there's a five-year time skip in this game. And after the time skip happens, like, they introduce so much stuff. Like, they introduce different weapon types that totally change combat. Uh, the game starts doing some wild shit. Like, I entered a dungeon where they pulled back, and it was, like, a Diablo-style isometric uh, mm. situation. It's hard to talk too much about this game without getting into the weird story and the shit that just makes it so compelling. So I'll just keep it to the simple stuff. This game looks good as hell. It's a PS3 game remastered, so it's not going to look perfect, but it looks really good. There have been some changes to the combat to bring it a little more into line with the combat of Nier Automata, um, something that I think mostly pays off, and the combat feels good because of that. Uh, music, as I could say the same thing in Nier Automata, soundtrack is fucking phenomenal. Like, just the vocals on everything, and it's chilling and atmospheric and i i really like this game i was hesitant at first to like pay 60 dollars for it but i am glad i did 
it is I'm going I, I, I think I'm approaching the finish line. Um I'm so I'm going I I have a mostly written I plan on writing something up for this game because it has been I'll say resonating with with me more than I expected. It it's just Yokotaro's a fucking madman. This near is weird and anime as hell, but I I'm glad I'm glad we got this. I'm glad this finally made it out there because Automata was so popular and so many people have no frame of reference for the original near. Yeah. Um one I was, thing I will oh, go ahead, throw in there is uh they added an additional ending that ties the two games together. Oh, yes, they they did uh, a lot of work to get to it. The ending E yeah, uh, is my understanding. And this is one of those games like Automata where it wants you to play it multiple times. Uh, I think after the first time you beat it every time, it starts you post-time skip. So skipping like the first 10 hours of the game. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm gonna have to do those multiple playthroughs because I really want to see what's going on. Um, yeah, um, it, gra- it grabs you enough for that. It... Yeah, yeah. Wow. It, so it, 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 anyway, um, my one big question I had is uh, compared to Automata. Obviously, this is uh, this game was made before that. Technically, yes. not the remaster, but the original. Uh, the original, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you, what, like, what kind of appeal is there to going back to the original if you only played Automata? Uh, well, it probably answers questions you've had. For one, there are, it takes place, I think, like a thousand years before Automata, but there are characters in common, um, Devola and Popola, who you might remember as sort of like these, those bards hang out in the desert camp in Automata are in this game. They're, they're two major players in this game. Um, Emil, who is sort of that like moon-faced character that Yokotaro always wears the mask of, that like everybody thinks of when they think of Nier. Um, he appears as a merchant in Automata. Emil is one of your party members in this, and you sort of get the backstory of how he became this way. In fact, that's the part of the game I just got past, uh, was the dungeon where you sort of learn how Emil became let let's say I guess let's say that creature. Mm-hmm. Um It's a lot of set dressing for the universe and finding one when you started it's already a post-apocalypse but finding out just how the world became the way it is in automata and what it it, it's building up that world and building up a number of those characters okay yeah okay that's interesting yeah i it's automata still one of those um or automata however i i remember we decided how it was pronounced and then i forgot already yeah the stress doesn't matter as much Al Tomata. Uh, I've still been really curious about it. I played the demo. It was a lot of fun. Um, I know it's a very unique experience. So I, I remember when the original came out and I never ended up taking the time to play it and I kind of regret that. So um, I was kind of curious about this this remaster. And um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool that you... I can't believe you're already almost finished with it, man. That's crazy. Well, almost finished with one playthrough. Okay, fair enough. So you're about, you're well, about I, a quarter of the way through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one, two, one twelfth of the way or something like that. But yeah, when you finish it, like maybe if Josh or, I, Josh or I get around to it, that's something we could do a Chomping After Dark of in the future when we start bringing that back again. So, yeah. That sounds lovely. I'd love yeah. to talk about a meal with you. 
Hmm. <laughs> Me too. Before we get into any more games, I think we should take another bathroom break really quick because we are coming into hour two of the podcast. So I think it'd be a good oh, idea. Oh, baby needs to pee pee? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Oh, okay, uh, that's to cool. To be then. fully honest with you guys, we'll be right back after we take one quick break. Hey there. Welcome. If you found this, you must be listening to The Chompcast. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. I know, you're wondering... Well, hey, shit, tell them about the other podcast! Yes, I know you're wondering... What else could I listen to? Don't forget the other podcast! What else could I possibly listen to from these guys? Shut the fuck up. I'm about to tell them. As I was saying, if you want more content from us and you want to hear us talk more about video games, head over to SoreChomp.com where you can check out our other podcasts, such as Chomping After Dark, a spoiler cast that deep dives on various games and movies, and Evoking the Sublime, where Shay breaks down the history and creation of a video game, often paired with interviews from various developers. Thank you, and enjoy. Okay, we are back from our break. Thank you so much for waiting on us. Um, thank you for being here. We love you. We're going to talk some more games. We have a few more games to get to before we get to the back end of the show. Um, next on the docket is Saga Frontier Remastered. And guys, I have been patiently waiting to talk about this. First for Morgan to delve into it. <laughs> and uh then hopes that rich would get into it unfortunately that didn't happen so you guys are gonna have to listen to the next one hour no i'm just kidding the next 10 or so minutes of me talking about this game now josh gave the original um a chance back in 2016 when we first started doing the chomp cast and um he likened it to when your cells mutate and um that is also known as cancer uh he likened it to that and uh ever since then i've been deeply offended trying to move (laughs) past this i've gone to therapy for years to try and move past the hurtful things that josh has said about one of my favorite games but i actually what i wanted to do is give you guys a very 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 brief history because i know most people aren't going to give a shit but I wanted to explain to you why this game is so pe- so peculiar. So, Josh, I remember you and Morgan when you guys tried it out said like there's there's no direction like you don't know what the fuck is going on through a lot of the game. And um, the director Kawazu Akitoshi, that is his that is his style. Um, that's something that has been prevalent in all of his games. Um, it was a lack of direction. Yeah, well, he want what he specifically wants to do is he wants to make non-linear games, and the reason mm. why that is is okay. twofold. One, one is because he was involved in some of the Final Fantasy games early in the industry, like some of the very old Final Fantasy games, and he while he enjoyed that style, basically he felt like it didn't represent real life. And that comes up to the second point as well, that um, his life, like his history, if you go look back at his early 
um, years, like his teenage years, his childhood, was very discordant. And, um, and this is from what I've read. I obviously have no direct reference to this. Um, from what I've read, very discordant life and a lot of things in his life he felt were incredibly nonlinear. So to reference... Mm. Re- a midlife crisis that. at five years old. Yes. It's relatable. So to represent that in game form felt very, not only counterintuitive, but it kind of felt like a lie to him, you know, in some ways. Again, yeah. from what I've read. So when Saga Frontier was created and he had the chance to uh, be the director and developer of that, one of the developers of that, he kind of wanted that as an experience. Not it to be discordant, but it to purposefully be nonlinear, which is kind of how life is. And that leads us into what Saga Frontier is. Um, I talked about it a few weeks ago a little bit, like first impressions. Saga Frontier is very much an avant-garde RPG um, because of its non-linearity, which it was so um, pervasive during JRPG PS1 era. Um, a lot of the systems were very, very anti-RPG or pseudo-RPG at the time as well. Um, just the way that you have different characters and they all vastly differently play out, even though they're somehow loosely intertwined was something that was kind of different at that time when, um, it was released, not saying it was the first one. It was very different for its time. And the battle system was so, so vastly different from anything I had played during that era. Um, you could have up to five characters. And you can find so many different characters in the world, and you would fight upwards to five enemies per screen. And you had these different types of characters. You had humans that could wield guns, swords, magic, or um, were just good with their fists. You had uh, mechs that you would upgrade them by finding different uh, technology in the world that gave them different abilities or increased their stats. You had uh, monsters, which you would absorb the monsters that you defeated, and that would increase the monster stats and give them new abilities to use. Um, and you had they mystics. put monsters in your monsters because they heard you like monsters so much. That, that's right, exactly. And you had mystics that had the this equipment that would also absorb the monsters, um, but you you'd only have upwards to three equipment items. So they each of these characters played out very differently. And these types of characters, I should say, played out very differently. And obviously the abilities that they could use were so different um, that basically there was a lot of customizability in the way you arrange your team and how each character in that team plays out. I really, really liked that at the time, and I still do even now. Obviously, customization is such a massive thing in RPGs and it's only gotten bigger and better um as gaming has gone on. But I feel like for the time uh for console gaming there wasn't quite anything like it to be able to have that level of customization because it added so much to the strategy um of what you do. Now I I could go in so many different places with this game because I absolutely love this game, as I'm sure you can tell. The music in this game is phenomenal. Obviously, during that PS1 RPG, JRPG era, 
a lot of the music that came out from that era was phenomenal. And this game is really, really no exception. You, you travel to different areas to um, figure out like how the story progresses. And a lot of times, like I said, you are not really told what to do, which sometimes can be frustrating. I will admit that. But most of the times it actually is really fun to try and figure out what you're supposed to do next. But there are over 20 different areas or worlds or locations that you go to, and each one has different music, and it feels so vastly different in a good way. It doesn't feel like it's disconnected. It feels like it's all very much connected in this one universe, but it stands out so much visually and sonically. It was it's really cool, and to hear a lot of those tracks again, obviously, um, hit me with nostalgia, but there were some places when I originally played the game that I didn't even go to, and hearing some of those tracks for the first time in this remaster was still really cool and really good to hear. It was like I was hearing these brand new tracks that I didn't even know existed. Um, it was great. It was absolutely great. I, a, few th- a few of the things I wanted to talk about with the remaster, actually get into why this sets itself apart from the original. First and foremost, they introduce a flea system into the battle system, which the original didn't have, and I had somehow forgotten about it, mm. um, which was one of the reasons why I never beat this game more than twice. There are seven characters, now eight, because they introduced an eighth character um, that was originally withheld from the original. The, I, I, I didn't get to play them all because each battle you would run into in the original, you had to fight it every time no matter what and that got really fucking tedious and it well, really turned not just me tedious off but as a as a key go ahead that was one of the issues i kind of had with the original my my playthrough of the original one of the reasons i had such a hard time with it is because this is one it's it's an early rpg that allow you to go places you're not supposed to be and you'd be stuck in that fight so it's a game over. It's it's a permanent game over. It's not like, oh, you're going to get one character one shot and then run away. You you re- you're reloading at that point. It was kind of how that ended up playing out. You're you're reloading from wherever your last save was if you accidentally wander in some place that uh you were not supposed to be. And that is a such such a major improvement from a quality of life standpoint, being able to realize you're in over your head and correct course instead of reloading it's huge it's huge dude like reading all i read about how um close to real life that the director wanted to have this game it felt really counterintuitive to not have a flea system because you know in real life sometimes you have to avoid a situation so you run away from it until you're ready to deal with it kind of thing and this game didn't have a flea option i yeah like having gotten to play with the flea option in 2021 on the remaster, single-handedly was the reason why I played through every single storyline and completed all of them back to back to back to back to back until I was done with the game. Had that not been introduced, I would have never done that. Um, the flea option was, was essential, or is essential. And I'm so glad that they realized that that actually not only is necessary for 2021, but it actually speaks to the original point of the game in the first place. You know, 
Um, on top of that, they increased yeah. like the, like Final Fantasy VIII did. They increased um, or they get they introduced the option to increase the battle speed and the walking speed, um, which was really nice because obviously it being an older game, there was a lot of like load up time and whatnot for for stuff. But the speed up also made the game a lot quicker and um, easier to get into and get through a lot of the stuff. I was able to finish a few of those storylines at the end in under five hours each just because of that mm. speed option and the flea option, which made it nice because I spent the first few playthroughs really grinding and um, getting characters up to the level I wanted them to be. Like I said, they introduced uh, a, a new character. His name is Fuse. He's actually he was actually in the original games. You could pick him up in pretty much each playthrough um, as a side character that you can use in battle. But they introduced him. He was originally slated to be in the for the original game, but they excluded him. Um, I think partially due to just not having enough space. Um, I actually read that there were supposed to be nine ga- characters, but uh, they actually ax- axed out another one because didn't fit really with the theme of the rest of the characters. But his story plays a little bit different. Instead of playing his own storyline, he plays the other storyline from his perspective. So the, the, you're playing like seven mini stories from his perspective. And it's really cool. It, it was really interesting. I really liked him as a character. They fleshed him out a lot more by including him in the remaster, which I thought was awesome. Cool. A few other things, and then um, we can move on. Uh, they revamped the UI, like the menus. They did an overhaul of those, which was absolutely necessary because sometimes you didn't know what you were equipping exactly what you were equipping to your characters and sometimes it was hard to find some of those things that were buried in the menus but they revamped those and made them much easier to navigate which was very welcome on top of that they also um they introduced another slot in the menus called story where it kind of fills in the gaps a little bit on some of um what's happening in the story it doesn't tell you what's happening but it's like hey this just happened here's kind of a the thought process this is where you got to go next or this is what you got to do next Mm, without giving you don't forget what the objective is yes which is nice because in the original that was so easy to do and there's actually one specific storyline her name is acelis she's the only half mystic in the game where i couldn't get out of the intro because i couldn't figure out what to do as a teenager and a young teenager, uh-huh. I could not figure out what the hell to do. And um, obviously, walkthroughs weren't as prominent back then. I didn't okay, have the strategy yeah. guide for it. So I never figured it out. Um, as an adult, obviously, we have walkthroughs now, but basically, that little story section said, Go do this. And I was immediately able to figure it out. And I was able to progress with that storyline and eventually do it. Um, it made certain storylines playable which was really really nice um the original definitely while i appreciated its non-linearity and its desire to have you figure things out for yourself sometimes it needed to do a little bit more hand-holding than it did so that was really welcoming or i welcomed hmm. it very much um we all welcome it we all welcome think change the the a welcome change that's the better way to put it thank you uh, the graphic update was really, really nice. I love the hand-drawn original style, but the update actually just makes that hand-drawn style pop even more. Um, it, man, I forgot how vibrant the game was and how 
unique each area was. Uh, the remaster only enhanced my memories of everything visually. So I was really, really thankful for that, that this game finally got a remaster because it made it look modern yet retro. Um, it, ha- it had the best of both worlds to me. Um, it oozes kinda... sex. That's what it says <laughs> in the back of the box. <laughs> Visual sex. No, I think that's pretty... Like, I think there are a few other small quality of life changes that were introduced into the game that I'm spacing talking about right now. But those were the major ones that I can think of. Um, yeah, no, those sounds like... From someone who bounced off the original, those sound like very important tweaks that, that aren't shit, going I'm, to ruin the spirit of it, but are going to make it something just that... vast improvements. Yeah, just way um, more approachable. Based off what I read also, and I do think uh, this is a, a positive, my understanding is that flea option cannot fail. Um, that it's just, I would like to bail, and it's a 100% success rate, which I yep. always appreciate because... Yeah. It, oh, God. I get why Thinking games back to some to of the do old... it, but it's dumb. Yeah. Um, like, was it Final Fantasy VI? I love that game, but don't your characters have a flea role on an individual basis? I'm pretty yeah, sure Yeah, they have to six. all flee the battle independently. Yeah, so you can choose to flee, and one of them will just flee on their own, and another one could get stuck there long enough to just die. And then you have to just revive them in the menu when you yeah, get Yeah, after the it's fact. Really, it's really dumb. But yeah, that's... That was unrelated to this, because it didn't have flea as an option, period. But like... Fucking games, fucking games early on, they, they made some choices. They made some, some real choices. And uh, it's, it's a good thing that some of them are being reexamined at this point. Like, I don't feel like Hindsight's we should ignore all of them, but like here and there, you know, fix the drastic mix, you know, missteps. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's it's been nice. A lot of quality of life issues actually only enhanced the game even more and made me fall in love with it all over again. Um, mm. It's $25. It's available on Switch. I believe PS4. I can't remember. It's also available on mobile. Yes. Uh, and PC, both Mac it's on, and PC. Yeah, yeah. Um, all I can't, the things. It's $25. I cannot recommend this game enough. Um, the, the remaster version of it. I think that's the better version of play of it now to be honest with you um there is so much content there that you will spend hours and hours and hours playing and get lost in it in a good way um eight storylines to play through lots of content um my my other one big uh criticism before we move on sorry one last thing i I don't want to just fillet this game to death uh one of the things that bummed me out about the original <laughs> that bummed me out about the original that bummed me out about this game is like there's some areas that are really cool that have really good music and you only explore that place once or twice in the seven playthroughs that you do because there's nothing there or there's next to nothing there and that happens in a few of the areas there's one specific area it's called nelson and it's like this this harbor and it looks like it's in this cove and there's some like there's something like ju- rocks jutting over it so literally you are inside an underground in a cove and it looks kind of snowy in there as well 
which again, I don't know how that works, but it's a video game, so we're going to suspend disbelief for a little bit. But it had this really amazing jazz bop, and the, the, the visuals were popping in there, and it was a really cool area. And you only need to go there once or twice in the seven playthroughs, for example. And I was like, I never get to hear this music. And they didn't introduce an option into the remaster to where you could just play that any music you want at any point in the game. You know, that's like, something I miss from like Super Nintendo games, and and like kind of died off around that era with with the the play anything you want from the menu sort of a deal. That's well, the Final Fantasy VII remake did that. Yeah, I I want to see that in more games moving forward. Just the ability to the music box mode needs to make a comeback drastically in games. Yeah. I I yeah, love the music boxes in old games. It would have been it would have been nice, you know, like um uh, the the music in all the other areas is amazing, but once in a while I would have liked to have heard that music, that music or music from other areas a little bit more. Um unfortunately that wasn't the case. So I feel like this game at certain times can feel a little bit empty or feel like the potential wasn't fully explored or realized, but then you consider the fact of when it was made and a lot of the things they do and did at that time really were pushing the boundaries of what could be done at that time. And there's a lot of content in there. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but also at the same time, I realize why that is the case. You know, it's just like, un unfulfilled potential i get or un unrealized potential maybe the better unrequited way love yes exactly um the police are coming to arrest me now because i've talked too long about saga frontier as you guys can probably hear in the background um so we're gonna move on i'm gonna pass it off to josh and he's gonna he's gonna talk about <laughs> fuck you <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna talk about a game while uh while the police read Shay's miranda rights Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I convinced them not to arrest me. Uh, Josh, you played a game called Moondown. Uh, very, very interesting game that I had never heard of until you started talking about it. Tell us about Moondown. Um, this is a game I'd kind of been following a little bit before it came out. Um, just from the art style. Um, it is a first-person horror game, indie horror game, um, which Sounds like it would tell you everything you need to know because that's kind of been its own genre for a long time now. Um, but the the reason this one kind of stuck out to me was that the art style is all hand-drawn pencil artwork. Um, everything is just done in um, in pencil. And it leaves a really interesting impression on it because it's very lo-fi sort of gives you the impression of what you're looking at but then a lot of the effects going on and the way everything is rendered in 3D still they're they're using some they're using using some power some power to get these uh these these effects to 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 really come across the way they want to um and they're able to make the art style work in many different ways um which is really cool um from you know seeing these vistas that just look like they were something you just you'd find in a sketchbook like somebody just you know 
going backpacking across Europe, found this cool spot. Okay, I'm just going to sketch a little picture of it. So you see this, you know, overlook of a whole town. And it just, it looks very much like a sketch to a lot more of the surreal horror elements. Just looking completely unreal. Like it, they're they're sketched, but they're they're able to because it's all in three D, um, use that in really cool ways. Uh, the the main antagonist to this is the old man, who is essentially what he's called throughout all of this, and they do one of the coolest design tricks I've ever seen, where his face is just a hand drawn, penciled face. But they change the polygons underneath it constantly. So he's got a face that's just shifting and moving. And it's it's just one of the most unsettling characters I've ever seen because of the way they use this art style. Um, that's what all humans look like to me. <laughs> um, but, 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 but the game is a, a really cool sort of... Um, not what I expected it to be because I'm I'm kind of assuming, you know, walking sim slash horror game, which is what a lot of the indie space has been with games where there's not a lot of gameplay. You you don't have any way to interact with enemies. If something shows up, you run from it, hide, wait, et, wait, etc. Slash slash horror. Are you saying Guns N' Roses is in this game? Yes. Yes. The last time Slash isn't real. He's based on a Dutch. Uh, he's based on, on a Dutch folktale. Yeah. No. No. Slash. They they made him up to sell hats. Yeah. How else were they gonna sell those hats? Slash is not real. Parents told me Slash wasn't real oh. when I was like eight. Mm. Damn. How else? Well, uh, that idea. You're gonna move those hats any other way? But um. Fuck. Where was I? Um. <laughs> um. I don't know. Something about. Uh, it, it something is... about Velvet Revolver. <laughs> um, the, the 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 gameplay in it is not what I expected coming into a an indie horror game, which is basically you're you're gonna walk around, you're gonna hide from enemies and whatnot. It is very much a survival horror game with um enemies that you do interact with. You've got um sort of a stealth based combat at the beginning with you, you really don't want the enemies to see you because you have health and you also have like a fear level um where just the enemies seeing you at all will eventually kill you you will you will be scared to death your character will um will eventually succumb just from having too many enemies around them been um, there but you'll also die if they like attack you or something directly um which kind of it it makes the game systems feel this is a thing survival horror has always done really well is give you a reason that you want to explore everything because you need resources um whereas some of the other you know indie forays into this space have felt more like oh I just want to get to the end like there's there's no reason to yeah. explore this thing because I can't do anything to the enemies. Me futzing around in this area any longer than I have to is just giving more opportunities for something to come find me and kill me. 
Um, whereas this is a world you want to explore every single part of it because you like you need to find stuff. Like I, I need to find ammo for a gun that I haven't found yet, but maybe I'll eventually find a gun and this ammo will be useful for me. Um, one day. One day. One day this ammo will do something for me. Um, which I think kind of plays really well into the game does a really good job of giving you this sort of down to earth uh, moon down is the name of the mountain uh, region that you're in. You're, you're going, you're going to uh, the, the game starts out. You've, you've been given a, a letter from the, uh, from the priest of this little mountain town where your grandfather used to live, where you were, you were raised there uh, by your grandfather and you've since moved to the city and you get a, get a letter saying that your grandfather has died, but you don't need to come. Everything's fine. Everything's uh, no, cool. nothing we to see here. To um, why, don't, why don't you keep doing what you're doing? Everything's good. Um, did I say that everything's fine? You definitely don't need to come here. Um, so you get this letter and you, you know, go to, bury your grandfather and see what's going on back in in this little mountain village where you grew up um and it does an excellent job of making it really inviting and nostalgic and feel like a place that you're remembering along with the main character um but also have this very surreal psychological horror feeling to it with everything else that's going on um and it it doesn't it just it's it's just, it's like a a honestly a masterclass of how to handle this dichotomy of making you care about the location the characters that are going on there and then feel threatened in that in a lot of ways that horror games have a hard time with lately um with things that are just like completely foreign from start to finish or there's no stakes to it uh, in a lot of ways where this feels an awful lot like early Resident Evil and Silent Hill games with characters you care about and um, trapped in mansions. Yeah. Places, places that feel understandable stuff that you can wrap your head around and then they're mm -hmm. threatened they're threatened by something going on. Um, and as, as, as you go on, you start to understand kind of the, the, the threat that's come to this mountain village because of your grandfather, because of stuff that he's done in the past, as you start to like uncover everything going on. Grandpa was a Freemason. What? Um, and they do just an excellent job of, of, pacing that out and and making you want to keep going see, to yeah see where it's going of, yeah. um like i played this game in three chunks i had like an hour and a half chunk at the beginning where i kind of got the initial story came to see the town found out what was going on with my grandpa and then the next one to kind of explore a little bit more and then the third chunk was the entire rest of the game which was like another six or seven hours where it was just like, oh my god, I have to see where this is going. And I didn't mean for that to happen. It was just like, 
it's nice when that happens. Like, yeah. It's a rarity nowadays that a game sucks me in that much, but I, I, I always enjoy hearing a story like that of like it just grabbed me and I just sat there for half a fucking day. Yeah, and this game it absolutely nails that. Um it 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 does so many things right with the survival horror and sort of surreal psychological horror genres um mm. that i'm i'm i i'm i'm going to be surprised if this doesn't influence a lot moving forward from here um you have to check that out then um like the art just looking at it, it looks gorgeous like very unique but uh, that sounds up my alley. I'm going to have to make time for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, uh, I, if, if you're new here, this is, this is coming from someone who's not, like, into all the horror games. I'm kind of... Just like, fear three. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... I anyway. Anyway. It's, it's, it's excellent. It's, it's, this game is excellent on a narrative level, on a systems level on a world level it does so many things right um it's it's really it's it's been just a great experience from start to finish cool man well there you have it if you are feeling deprived of some horror in your life and you need something new get moon down because that sounds fascinating as hell but speaking of horror Rich has been playing something that's kind of a little bit in that vein. Not really. Uh, Half-Life Alex. No, it's not. I know. I thought it was going to work, and then I realized like... midway through the transition, I was like, nope, that's not going to work. But I went with it anyways. Um, Rich, <laughs> you got a new VR headset, and um, you decided to take yes. it for a test ride by playing some Half-Life Alex. Yeah, um, before I get into Half-Life Alex itself, first I'll say um, I picked up the Oculus Quest 2, um, and my timing apparently could not have been better uh, in terms of uh, new weird stuff coming to that, by which I mean I cannot recommend this enough. Uh, the Oculus Quest 2 is fully contains VR headset, uh, and you might be saying Half-Life Alex is a Steam game. How, how you are does this then? And... The answer is you could always connect the Oculus Quest via a USB-C cable to your PC and use it as a PC headset. But the same week I happened to get the Oculus Quest 2, a new app came out called Virtual Desktop that for $20 lets you wirelessly stream over Wi-Fi PC VR games to your headset. And it works miraculously well. So I've been playing Half-Life Alex without the shackles of wires, which is awesome. Uh, I've always believed in VR as a concept. I think Half-Life Alex, much in the way Resident Evil 7 was for me on the PlayStation, is another selling point of God, we can do cool shit with VR. Um This game is just great. Like, and a lot of it is the brief moments of like cool, like the first time I encountered a head crab in VR, and I just picked up its corpse after I killed it and like lifted it up and was just like, cool. Like it's moments <laughs> like that that are just it's dumb, but it it all works so goddamn well. Um, the first time I saw like a combine harvester, like stepping over my head, like mm. it's just immersive in all the right ways. I know I mentioned to Josh privately that in one of the first sections you walk by, there's uh, a bunch of markers on a, a desk and there's a, a window pane 
where people have been drawing on the window, and you can pick up a marker and just draw on the window. So the first thing I did was draw dicks all over it. Uh, because <laughs> VR allows me to do so. Um, but yeah, the, in terms of... The controllers in the Oculus 2 are great, so they're great for uh, handling static movement like that. Uh, I've put probably four-ish hours into it, because I'm still kind of getting my VR legs back again, so it's hard for me to really stay in it for more than, like, 45 minutes to an hour at a time. Gunplay feels great, um, and they're just slowly, like, teasing out ideas that go goes on. Like, there is a whole level built around, like, okay, here's grenades, and it, it shows you how different VR is, because no shooter would ever structure a level like this where they kind of just want you to use grenades on everything <laughs> for this area. Like, you're stumbling into cabinets that are just filled with, like, ten grenades. <laughs> and you're like, okay, here we go. Uh, because you can't really store stuff the same way you would in a typical shooter like Half-Life Alex. The only thing you're really storing are is ammo, which you reach behind your back to pull out ammo for the weapon you have in your hand. And then you can swap the clip out, or if it's the shotgun, you can load the shells. That seems... And beyond that, That seems you like, have... logistically speaking... The worst place to store your ammo. Wouldn't you store it on a belt somewhere where you have well, quick access? Well, you're supposed to be reaching into your backpack. What if you have bursitis in your shoulder, though, Rich? Or you have shoulder you impingement syndrome? You don't, though. You're, you're Alex Vance, and she does not have that. <laughs> but what if you do? But you don't, though. If you do, I don't really understand why you're playing VR. Uh, is my answer for you. Uh, so much for realism. That, you have two, uh, what they call like your wrist storage pockets. Basically, below your hand level, you can like insert an item that you can then quick access and pull out. Um, oh, I have an item to insert and pull out. Oh yeah, tell me more about that. Um, so basically, I spent a good section of well, the game since walk, you asked. walking down a hallway <laughs> with with a grenade in each <laughs> hand, um, and you just hit hit a quick button to arm them and give them a lob and. There's nothing more satisfying than doing, like, a nice softball toss of a grenade and just watching it blow everything up. Uh, a thing I refuse to change, but almost you almost definitely can, there has to be a way to be able to toggle crouching. But no, I love getting on the ground to crawl through a ventilation shaft. I mm. love getting down on the ground in real life. Do you actually, like, have to get on the ground to do that? Yeah. There's definitely... Most games have this. I'm sure there's something in the settings where I can make right stick toggle crouching. But I think it's way funnier if I'm literally ducking behind cover in my living room. Yeah. That's I want to imagine I, from the limited VR I have played, I think is really fun when they do make you move like that. It's um, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, is, is not the most accessible or or logistically, you know, advantageous from a long term perspective. But it's funny. But it's definitely the way to kind of get yourself into the experience. It, it makes you more involved in it, yeah. Um, I, would, and, I would like to imagine, really quickly before you go in further, Rich, I would like to imagine a, a marriage or a relationship where someone is playing this game and they're getting to that crawling section and they think they're home alone and they're doing it. And then they hear, and because they have the headphones in, they're like, and they took the headset off, and they're like, what? And then the significant other's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm just I'm <laughs> crawling around on the ground for this game. And I'm like, stopping you're trying the combine. to combine that. 
you're trying to explain that to someone who just doesn't get games would probably make mm-hmm. for a really, really funny moment. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think this is important in the same way like Half-Life 2 was originally important and how it like changed a lot of stuff for PC shooters. I think this is going to be one of those games people look to in figuring out how shooters will work in VR because, it, again, it just does so much right. Like, this is a tedious thing almost, but loading guns the proper way is something I find very satisfying in VR. Like, having to eject your pistol clip, pop it in, pull the slide back. Like, it's yeah. just neat that you need to do that. Um, The weapon upgrades work surprisingly well. Like, actually putting a hollow sight on a pistol that you can function with properly because you're in VR. Um, And then the main caveat of... Again, something I think games are going to find a way to justify, much in the way, like, you know, detective vision became a thing in a lot of games. Yeah. If for anyone who played Half-Life 2, you probably remember one of the big, like, tech pieces in Half-Life 2 was the gravity gun. In Half-Life Alex, the thing you get early on, you get gravity gloves. And the main way they work is you sort of hold your hand out, and you'll see an object you're holding your hand out towards glow orange. And that means it's in the range of your gravity gloves. So you clench a fist and then you kind of flick your wrist back and it launches the object towards you and then you can catch it in the air. So it makes her like much more fast moving combat where you're like, oh, I see ammo over there. I need it. Like fling it to yourself, load the gun, keep shooting. Um, That's cool. Pull an object you can throw to distract an enemy. That's I, cool as hell, dude. It It feels good. Like once you have it working in action, you're like, this feels fucking awesome. Like... It just makes the combat that much more fast paced and exciting. Um, you know, you know what that honestly like makes me wish is that if Dead Space is brought back, it's in VR because this that sounds very similar to a Dead Space type of feel of a game, like what you're with describing with the and gravity that, yeah. glove and everything. Yeah, with with state with the stasis gloves. Yeah, exactly. That'd be- That'd be so fucking horrifying, though. Like I if they brought it back to the to the roots of <laughs> Dead Space One, just the level of horrifying on VR would make me fucking shit myself. Subtle VR things I want to mention before I move on from this, because obviously I'm going to keep playing this. I'll come back with updates for you guys. Uh, cool. It does a lot of VR things right that I always appreciate. Number one, find a hat, pick it up, put it on, see it in your peripheral. Love it. It's the best VR decision any game can ever make. Um, I spent about 20 minutes marveling at this the other night. It's a game where you're picking up a lot of stuff and looking at it. Um, there were a bunch of bottles of vodka in like uh, this cabinet in, I was in. Picking it up and like watching the liquid swirl around as you move it in your hand, like the effort, the undoubtedly unnoticed by almost everyone effort that goes into rendering something like that in VR. It's unfucking believable. Like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so unimportant. But it's so cool. Like I can't I can't get over it. Really, I can't. Yeah, I I love that. I I hope that my hope was I think last year when this was announced that more people were going to get into VR because of this game and I hope like you detailing like the sale you got and everything, I hope that it continues to become more viable because those moments are so fucking cool in gaming. Like I still remember my time with Moss and Resident Evil 7 so fondly, but obviously I don't think the tech was quite there to maximize that. 
on the PSVR headset, the original one. So I hope that they're that they continue to upgrade and hopefully it becomes more viable. Like the, totally. the price, yeah. Of mm-hmm. course, the price is a big hang up, and I will agree that that's part of the reason why it's kept me from getting one of the higher end headsets. But also, it's just because I know the technology isn't quite there yet. And I understand to some degree, like you got to kind of support the thing you want to see come to fruition in some ways. I, I I do think that there's a level of viability in that camp, and I hope that this game is showing that. Not just you, Rich, but everybody that there, there, there's a lot of potential there still. Like it's not, it's not dead. Totally. It's not a dead technology yeah. like the Connect was. It's like there's still a lot of potential for this to grow. And I do need to be honest of all the things, and I'm willing to fully admit it that finally pushed me over the edge because I'm always thinking about buying an Oculus Quest. But what finally pushed me over the edge was the announcement of Resident Evil 4 VR exclusively for the Oculus Quest 2. <laughs> Of all the things it could be, I was like, I could be Leon Kennedy? Finally, it's not just a dream. (laughs) It's a reality. But no. Be the handsomest boy in the world. (laughs) I'm going to be fascinated to hear your your closing thoughts as you end up rounding out that game and finishing it up. Because, yeah, I'll be curious to think if you, or to hear if you think that it's, you know, it is a, uh, excuse me, it is a, um, what is it, killer app, as as the children put it these days. It is the, the, even the, the, the one minimal that... amount I, go ahead. Even the minimal amount I've played, I think, I think it undoubtedly is, like, it's, that game's fucking wild, like, I, I, it's only a shame that the, you know, the very limited user base, like, more people need to see this thing, and I think it'll, it'll make a believer out of a lot of people who doubt it. Um, I also think the fact that I'm playing it wirelessly, which was not a thing you could do very long ago, like that changes it. And that's what puts it such a far step above PSVR to me is when you're not tripping over that cable, it really changes how you play these games. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, I- I'm curious to hear your further thoughts on that. Um, thank you for sharing. Cause that's a game that I've been really curious about. Um, Josh, we leave the final game of the I game, this talk game to too. you. <laughs> with turnip boy commits tax evasion what in the fuck is this game josh it's great is what it is go ahead josh <laughs> uh turnip boy commits tax evasion is sort of a 2d zelda like ish thing more, more Link's awakening than anything else yeah very very Link's awakening it's got a lot more like that's not all it, it's it's got a lot more well like kind of trading midi game. Well, that's type the Link's stuff. Awakening. Yeah, part it, of it. Yeah. Um, it is. It is a game where, oh my god, everything about this it sounds insane because of just the 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 whole premise of it. Um, your your house has been repossessed because you haven't paid the taxes you need to, and and the mayor of the town who needs you to pay all these taxes is uh is having you go do a bunch of odd jobs for him instead um and so you go off and do said things as you as your as your turnip boy self in these different dungeons and and so far and so forth um i only beat the first dungeon josh i don't know how much time you've put into it i i beat the game because it's it's it's, it's really satisfying um 
the game is Zelda-like, but with more of a focus on Again, like that's it's fairly similar to like the the Link's Awakening sort of it, it's more puzzle focused in a lot of ways with the way you get through these dungeons and whatnot where you get, you'll get different Entire items. documents in half. Yes, yes. Uh, that's the funniest thing. Uh, throughout the game, basically anytime you finish a quest for anybody or or whatever, they'll give you a document, something that would be important for you to have. And the the button prompt you get after you've seen said document is to it's rip it tear. up. Is to yeah, rip it up. Rip it up. So you get this very important thing and you just tear it up, which is That's of course what caused doc, all your problems at the beginning because you, yeah. you you tore up your your tax bill and committed tax, tax evasion. Forms yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is it is very charming. It is full of references and just pop culture, like kind of just tidbits all over the place. It is very lighthearted and fun, but just, it's a solid, solid game. Tax evasion. Yeah. Um, God, it is, it, I kind of, um, it feel, it felt gameplay wise. It's not similar to, but it felt very similar to playing rain on your parade. As far as the just sheer volume of references and jokes throughout yeah, it's, it's one of those, throughout the yeah. story um it's just it's fun it's just it's it's a good lighthearted fun romp yeah experience um with uh yeah just that that old school zelda sort of a formula to to hold it all together as a former host would say uh Sounds very much like a Josh game. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was it was my sort of jam. Um, I think you de- you delight in this, to be honest with you, Shay. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, no, it's this, so dumb. It's it's really would. dumb. It's really fun, but it's just like it it works on basically all the levels it's got there. It's, it's not a lot of levels, but they all work. Um, honestly, I was sold on the game just from the title, like just. The title "Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion" was all I needed to hear to understand that I wanted to know all the jokes that a game that would pick that as the title had in store for me. Um, and it did not disappoint. It's a, little, it's a little interesting. Yeah, I I don't know what I really thought it would be when I heard the title. Um, definitely not what you described, but it it sounds interesting and fun to say the <laughs> least. But uh, uh, you'd re- you'd recommend it to people who are fans of Zelda, pretty much the old school Zelda. Um, yes, like it's not super hardcore. It's um, simpler than most of those. Yeah. It is, yeah, it is, it is a simple Zelda okay. game, but that's that's more or less what's there. I think I think you're more so going to be into it if it's that the, the writing, the, the writing, writing, if that sort of humor appeals to you, because um, that's that's the thing that was just solid from start to finish was like the carrot lady who's missing her baby that you then find in a trash can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. This game just, is great. It's really fun. It's really fun. Um, they managed to nail a bunch of just bizarre jokes like that. Um, that they make yeah. a, a pretty good joke about like a uh, streaming culture. I think it's one of the first ones. 
when you're trying to get into the barn, I'm like, sorry, the barn is only accessible to uh, people who sub to my VIP tier. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Well, that's that's Turn fair. Us. If you've ever played this game, message Josh on Twitter and let him know that you too love when Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. That'll round up the gaming talk. We're going to get to some polls. I was originally thinking we were going to take a break, but I, I think the show's gone on pretty long. I think we could point. just power through. We took uh, two or three breaks, right? We've done two yes. breaks so far, yeah. I can't, who can keep track? <laughs> do you need to take? Do you guys need to take one more break? I'm good, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good to go. Okay, we'll push through then. Uh, we just have some polls and then the Patreon shoutouts to get to. Um, the polls are going to be actually pretty easy. There's not much to really discuss regarding them. Thankfully, um, keeps keeps the back end a little bit shorter. Um, one of the questions that was asked to uh the sword Chomp Instagram. And if you're interested, uh, head over there and you can answer our polls when we start doing them again. Was legend of Dragoon Sony's popular JRPG on par with the best of final fantasy on the PS one? 45% said yes. And 55% said no, which is, I, I think it makes, I think it lines up, uh, with about the level of popularity of that game. I think it is a huge cult classic, but it never was, as mainstream as it should have been. And I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, the voting there. I don't know if you guys would agree or disagree with that. but to, Yeah, no. Fair to say. It, it wasn't the, the main yeah. st- uh, stream stay of like a Final Fantasy, but it had its following, and it, it's a solid game. That lines up with my experience yeah. of hearing myths and legends of Legend of Dragoon on the playground growing up at the time. So, it's not uh, coming through clear, Shay. But... Uh, yeah, that that sounds about right. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we can leave it at that. Yeah, I, I think Legend of Dragoon is a phenomenal game, and uh, if you are able to deal with kind of the old mechanics and the old graphics, definitely it's worth your time. It's a very fun game. Uh, next question. Which RPG frontman was your fave? Which is why I was trying to show this to you, guys. Hold on a second. Let me pull my screen up closer. Emo boy or monkey tail? I mean, the correct answer is monkey tail. Yeah. But it's a shame that that game came out when I, the PS2 was already a thing, which was the issue with that. But uh, yeah. 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 Nine, nine, just because of when it came out well, was kind of right doomed now. from the start. Yeah. I love nine so much. Yeah. It's so goddamn good. Mr. Emo Boy Squall got a 61%. Mm-hmm. Which... I absolutely yeah. understand that, too, though. Just given the top, the like, the, the, the thematically tail end of the 90s there, that, like, that was always going to resonate with people. Like, 8 kind of gets shit on these days because it's so of its time. But, like, it, it's yeah. a solid game. Like, I, I really like 8 more than a lot of people kind of act like it deserves yeah. these days. Like, it was never a bad game. It it had some issues with some of the experiments they took with the battle system, and Final Fantasy, especially around that time, was rethinking its systems constantly. And right, right. I, 
Yeah. Because of which they were, we they were had. all kind of broken. They were all kind of broken I, in their own way. Yeah, but they to, were. They were. Yeah. I really enjoyed that discussion that we had on that game. Um, if you guys want to check that out, we actually did a Chomping After Dark on Final Fantasy VIII. It was a very, very good discussion. Um, just head over yep. to wherever you get podcasts or you listen to podcasts and look up Chomping After Dark and listen to that episode because it was a really fun episode for us to record. Um, it's one of our more recent episodes we did. Uh, next question was, do you get nostalgic for multiple disc games? Uh, PS1 era, because of the amount of data that was going on discs, often a lot of the bigger games had to have two or three and sometimes even four discs. And uh, 67% said yes, they do get nostalgic for multiple disc games. And um, we've kind of had a discussion on this in the past about multiple disc games as well. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it was, a, like, obviously it's not, it doesn't make sense for 2021, but back in the day it was a really cool thing to, you know, finish a disc off and then have some time to decompress and then put in the next disc when you were ready. It was a really cool thing that um, I don't think people really get to experience anymore, especially with the kind of binge culture that we have now. Um, yeah. It definitely wouldn't work, but yeah, I absolutely... I do get nostalgic eh, for multiple disc games. It, it, I don't think, like, the, the concept, like, there, there's a time and place where it's like, ah, I remember that. And I, I think the thing I miss more than anything is, like, a lot of JRPGs, I'll get Final Fantasy IX, actually, weirdly enough, is one that resonates with me of doing it really well, is they found a lot of really good natural act breaks to end those yes. discs on. Uh, and I think Nine yep. does that really well with all four of its discs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something that kind of went by the wayside for a long time because oh, we don't want anyone to ever stop playing our games. We've got to have everything be a cliffhanger at all points. That you should never feel like you are comfortable to set a game down. And I feel like we're finally coming back around on that where there have been a lot more games recently that understand the idea of just of offboarding. There oh, there yeah, need to be uh, natural places in your game to take for a you break. to stop. Yeah. Like, I, I always, it'll stick with me forever, is where Final Fantasy IX's disc one ends, where uh, Beatrix kicks your ass, and mm -hmm. uh, then it kind of just, like, fa like, and it's such a good point to, like, decompress and stop uh, after you hit, go through this boss fight that you struggle all the way through, and then she goes, you know what, fuck you, and one-shots you. Yeah, yeah, like, that was because of the discs, it was just a technical technological reason they had to structure it this way yeah um whereas i think the stories benefited from it though. yeah i think they really did because people had to think about them in very specific ways like okay you, you need to do this in this part of the game and and in past then we're moving on whether you did it or not that's just not in the code anymore that's not a thing yeah. you can currently run um and it worked really well um there are a few games that have done stuff like that since then really uh, Alan Wake is the 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 idea of structuring Last that as episodes was excellent as yeah. far as doing a similar sort of thing without discs. So I um I I think I think there's room for that to be a thing. Um Alan totally. Wake by, did that just really by well. design choice. Uh, Kentucky Route 0 uh a lot of the Telltale games and and the like the idea of having these episode act breaks 
places where you are meant to stop and come back to it later. Near Replicant actually does that very well with its whole time skip mechanic. Like when Mm -hmm. I first hit that point, like I wanted to keep going, but I was like, I played like four hours this today. Let me just like, it gives you the save option right as you're hitting that time skip. And I'm like, I'm just going to walk away. That was something Moon Down did very well as well because um, there are these segment like segments in the game where okay there's there's not a lot you can do left in this day it's time to go to bed and we'll we'll continue with everything else you have to do tomorrow because it's mm. getting too late you've got it you've got to stop um and just structurally it made these amazing spots to to just hop off at uh generally i'd save right before i went to bed and then i'd pick it up the next day like um and that, that's something that I think more games need to take into consideration. Where are you going to take a break in this experience? Um, because people have to. It's just, it's a reality of how we play games. Um, and taking that in consideration when you're structuring the thing as a whole is really important. Yeah, it's 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 something that a lot of older games and developers had a pulse on like i think about one of my favorite games of all time shining force it's split up into eight chapters and even though objectively probably fire emblem nowadays is obviously a much better and more complete package per se i still think that the way that shining force was able to onboard and offboard you of its you know now generic and ridiculous story it was self-aware and I think that was really, really cool that they understood to kind of when it was time to offboard something that I feel like Fire Emblem Three Houses kind of did and kind of didn't. Like they obviously had breaks and whatnot, but it still felt like they wanted you to keep coming back at the end of the day. And like, yeah, I think you guys have a good point. I don't really need to say anything more to it. Just, yeah, I do get nostalgic for that, but yeah, I think it's more nostalgic for good act breaks. I think that would probably be the better way to put that. So yeah, yeah. Um, we have one more poll, and uh, this one's actually very near and dear to my heart. Do you consider Monster Rancher a JRPG? Forty-four percent said yes, and fifty-six percent said no. Which I was surprised that that number was so high, actually, because uh. Monster Rancher, yeah, man, I I was obsessed with that fucking game when I was a kid. Like, I went online on my dial-up, my parents' dial-up, um, when I when my parents had recent had just gotten a divorce. That was a game that kind of kept me sane during all of that. And like, I was researching all of the CDs I would need, and I'd be like, "Hey, can you guys go buy me this CD? I need this one random monster <laughs> in this game." Um, I was I was super obsessed with the game. Um, for those of you that don't know what Monster Rancher was, it was basically you would either breed or hatch or uh, hatch a monster from CDs. Uh, you'd put a you'd put a CD into your PlayStation, and the game would temporarily like freeze its data onto the system. And then after it got the information from the CD, you'd put your game disc back in, and it would create a monster from your CD. And sometimes they were just generic monsters. And certain CDs had unique monsters. And it always made me wonder if there was like a product to deal or if it was just like the developers were really into that artist, uh, which is why certain CDs 
made certain unique monsters like what what the whole deal with that that's something i actually need to research something i've been carried curious about for my whole life but after that after you got the monster basically you would train them um you would send them off to camp or you tell them to do various jobs and it would boost up their stats and obviously you'd want to boost the stats of the the best stats per monster each monster was good at a different thing and then you could either send them off on expeditions to try and find more items for you to unlock even rarer monsters, or you could send them off to battle in this uh, tournament style. And it was really, it was really cool because you you felt a connection with the monsters that you had. Like it got, and you could honestly, you could freeze monsters, and then you could um, train different monsters at different times. Honestly, I would freeze some of my favorite even though they were about to die because I didn't want them to die because that was such a traumatic thing as a child. Um, like, I was an early teenager. Yeah. I was like 11, 12. My monsters would fucking die, and I was super attached to them, and it broke my heart. Um, but, that I mean, that's also... I wanted to freeze them and save them. But I couldn't. <laughs> Warner, I mean, Warner, that's... Warner yeah. Herzog told me, he said, Rich, the monster death is a part of life and we must learn to let go. And I said, what are you doing in my apartment? And he just <laughs> crawled out the window. Oh, another man who knows how to crawl. But, um, no, it's, I mean, it's <laughs> obviously supposed to be similar to how owning a pet is. Like, your pets die much sooner than you would like them to, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very fun game. And, uh, I don't know if I personally would consider it a JRPG. They ended up making a TV show about it, which was uh, hmm. interesting. Obviously, it wasn't as good or as popular as Pokemon or even, I'd say, Digimon. But um, yeah. it, was a really, it was a really fun game, and the TV show was all right. That's, uh, huh. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that is... The JRPG is something that kind of evolved in a different way in Japan than we ever really accepted it in western gaming um with with interesting experiments like i mean monster answer honestly it shares a lot of the dna uh of of that initial wave of rpgs and we got we got weird stuff with that with stuff like i mean even Honestly, I think Yakuza, in a lot of ways, shares an awful lot of the same roots as, as you know, what we'd consider JRPGs. Uh, but just like, oh, like why, why is the battle system the only thing that you care about it being a JRPG with? Yeah, like, why is that the deciding factor? Yeah, yeah. and they just made it a brawler, but a, a lot of the other stuff going on don't in worry, that they, series... It's a JRPG now. But yeah, it is now, but, like, it's... I feel like there are a lot of weird games that we don't think of as JRPGs that are definitely they, influenced they, they, they by that. They fall into that category, for sure, yeah. yeah. So that's... Yeah, I hadn't thought about Monster Rancher in that, uh, in that way, but that's that's... Yeah, I think I can, it, it's, I can it's see fair it. to to lump it in there. Monster Rancher is neat. It's a very unique game I, that I I don't think about that often, but it is is a wild game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good and game. The armored duck. <laughs> uh, the Swayzos. I miss Swayzo. 
But uh, that's going to wrap up the polls. We have one final thing before we go. We need to get to some Patreon shoutouts. Um, if you are a part of the $3 and up tier, um, you get shouted out here on the Chompcast. And we show our eternal gratitude that you are willing to uh, part with some of your hard-earned money to basically keep the show afloat. Because like I said at the beginning, we are a listener-supported show. And each one of you that choose to support us, you know, I can't express how appreciative I am of each and every one of you. So we do these shout-outs to kind of do just that, express that. So let's get to them really quick. Um, I was going to do a more extravagant one this month, but after everything that's recently happened, um, I just didn't have time. Unfortunately, I didn't prioritize it. That's my fault. Next month, we'll be back with the funny and the extensive and immersive Patreon shoutouts. But want to shout out to Bernadette. Thank you so much. And by the way, speaking of Bernadette, she designed a brand new low or not logo, a new shirt idea for us that we have dropped in redbubble.com slash people slash swordchomp. It is there right now. She created an awesome graphic for us. Um, thank you so much, Bernadette, for that awesome design. Check it out there. Uh, buy a shirt. Show, show some love and support to both Swordchomp and Bernadette for that. Uh, thank you to Jonathan, Corin Space, Eric S. Ivan, Josh M., Josh L., J-Hole Bro, Larissa, Paul, Cy, The Zalbi, Tawny, Amber M., Fletch, Eric O., and James. Thank you all so much for continuing to support us. And um, I also wanted to give a special shout-out to Facundo, Danny P., Chance, Brian P., Zach H., Stefan, Justin, Gilbiza, Gilbizi, Lisa, and The Rev. Um, they had dropped their support at the end of the month, but that doesn't mean that we still don't give them a shout-out here. We give them a shout-out because they supported us up till last month. I want to say thank you to each and every one of those people as well. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us over the years. Um, and even though it's sad to see you go, hopefully we'll see you again another time down the line. Um, but thank you to each and every one of you, seriously, who support the show. Um, we are, like I said it in the beginning, I want to say it one more time, we are really, really excited. We have a lot of new content that's going to be coming up. We're looking at revamping the site again. Um, to make it a little bit more user-friendly and kind of encompass what we want to do going forward. Um, we have some new shows lined up. We want to bring back Chomping After Dark. We have so many things we want to do here, and we're really excited. And uh, with your help and your support, that it will make those things possible. Um, so, yeah, if you feel so inclined, please head over to patreon.com slash swordchomp to uh, help us out. Um, the money helps us out. And if you can't do that, the be next best thing you can do is just spread the word about Sword Chomp. Whether it's you like uh, the Chomp cast, you like Chomping After Dark, you like Evoking the Sublime, whatever it is you like that we do, please, please, please just spread the word. Uh, that's the best way we get Sword Chomp out there. We get the name out there. We find um, like-minded people like you guys who are amazing, who support us. Um, we are appreciative of everything each and every one of you do. Thank you for making the time for us. Um, last few quick things. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us um, at Sword Chomp on Instagram or at Sword Chomp on Twitter. Uh, we are there. 
Uh, if you want to check us out for some amazing reviews, I just dropped a new review on Saga Frontier Remastered. Head over to the site sorchom.com slash reviews, where uh, mainly Rich writes some reviews. I write some as well from time to time. Uh, it's my second one I've ever written. Please go easy on me. Um, it's something new that I'm trying out, and it's been really fun so far. Um, but yeah, if you want to check out some reviews of some of the new games, I'm sure Rich will be having some go up here in the near future regarding some of the new stuff that he's been there's playing. There's always notes scrawled on pages, yeah. yeah there's gonna they, be... Stuff's happening. Stuff's happening, right. I already mentioned the Patreon. I don't need to mention that anymore. Like I said, if you want to pick up some new threads to represent out there, you want to help get the name out there by not speaking to people, just showing them your shirt, head over to redbubble.com slash people slash swordchomp. Show off those logos or show off Bernadette's new design. That way you don't have to speak to people, but you can show your love all the same. And if you end up buying a shirt or you buy some type of merch, send us a picture of it. We'd love to feature you on the social media. We want to show you off. We want to show that off, please. And thank you very much. Um, anything else? Am I forgetting? Oh, yes. One last thing. Um, we have been working slowly on building up our Discord. We want to get people in there to share um, all sorts of things, like game, not only games. Uh, we talk about fitness in there and physical health. We talk about mental health. Um, we um, talk about recipes that we're all making or we're creating or we're, we've done and we're showing off food. We are talking about specific games. There is an Avengers server in there for two crazy people who absolutely love that fucking game for some reason. Um, we, we, we have no all types of stuff going on in there. Uh, we're going to be, like I said, at the beginning of the show, we're going to be doing a movie night this coming weekend. Um, that's going to be for the discord community in there, the sword shop discord community. If you are interested in that, please message us, DM us, or send us a, uh, email at swordchomp at gmail.com. And last but not least, we want to thank you guys so much for continuing to be here and supporting us. Um, we know that, uh, last few weeks have been crazy hectic and confusing for everyone ourselves included um all i ask is you just have a little bit of patience with us we are going to continue to work and try new things and figure stuff out we are going to stay put we're not going anywhere um we just we need a we need a little bit of leniency as we figure things out and we figure out the best way to continue to bring content for everyone and content that we believe in and the best way to go about doing that. So be patient with us. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be back here still creating amazing content for you guys. So I want to thank you to my, say thank you to my uh, co-host Rich over there in New York, New York. Josh over in Michigan, which is not Japan. too far from Rich. Um, me, Shay from Japan. And uh, thanks for being here. And we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.